2: Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. PJ is away and uh, he'll be back on, um, I'm not sure when he'll be back, but this is Gareth O'Callaghan. I'm happy to mind the shop for him while he's away. He had a bit of an accident last week and uh, he's recovering well. And uh, we send him our love and best wishes in uh, South Infirmary Victoria this morning where he's been cared for by those amazing staff who uh, I know very very well after my time there, and I'm sure he'll tell you all about the accident he had. Uh, he actually damaged his oesophagus, his his throat, burnt it very very badly last week, and uh, they're keeping him in for another few days. Nice to be with you. I wish I could have brought better weather. It's miserable, miserable. It's a duvet day if you don't have to go out. And my advice to you, and indeed the advice of the emergency services, is if you don't make to, if you don't have to make the journey, don't stay at home. And I kind of sometimes wonder about the merits of sending children to school on a day like today as well, because uh, how many of us remember the days when we would get into school and we'd be queuing to try and stand behind beside the storage heaters trying to trying to dry off? Do you remember that? Yeah. Um, anyway, I hope you're well If you'd like to get in touch with us You can text us or you can WhatsApp us If you've a voice note or a message 0833 96 The weather is our main concern again today We're going to deal a lot with it in the first hour this morning. Middleton, our primary focus, because obviously we had extremely heavy rain again overnight. Nothing as bad, thankfully, as last week's. Uh, Just unbelievable. It was like apocalyptic it was so bad. I've never in my life seen anything like it. And uh, we were trying to get back from Dublin, actually, that we'd gone up to see The Lion King in the Borghosh Theatre. And uh, thanks to Irish Rail, I don't know how they managed to do it, but they got the seven o'clock back in. And we arrived back in around about quarter past 20, past 10. But uh, unfortunately, things are not really getting any better in Middleton. We're going to come back to that in a couple of moments' time. Graham Norton, as you heard there on the news at nine o'clock, he's put Fermoy on the map, that's for sure. Um, I-, I was a little surprised. This is the lady who, she was in the red chair and she past some very very derogatory remarks about what is a very fine town and uh, I've kind of relation connections gone back through the generations and we were actually out there last Sunday week we brought the dogs out with us to the the community park there in the town center which I love and uh, just met a couple of people who are regular listeners in that and there was a lovely peaceful sunny feel to the afternoon and Then you you hear this woman who's obviously had a couple of bad experiences uh, talking the way she did. And one thing that surprised me is that the Graham Norton show is pre-recorded the night before. So why didn't they remove uh, the piece that so many people rightfully felt uh, was uh, objectionable? Now, some people are saying, oh, come on, don't be so purist, get over it. There there was just no need for it. And then there was no real need to broadcast it either. So Graham obviously put things to right. Uh, there last week when he apologized to uh, his viewers. Now, um, looking out this morning, it's absolutely miserable. Uh, as I say, it's, it's cloudy. It's just... It's, the rain is not as heavy as it was about three hours ago. I got caught in it about half past six. But if you don't have to go out, please stay indoors today. Check on your neighbors if they're... Uh, You know, if if, if they're in a situation where they can't get out to get things, just knock on the door and see if they're okay, and look after the pets as well. Uh, Let's go to Middleton this morning. I've been listening a lot and I was listening to Joe last week and so many of the residents and watching the primetime special on Thursday night. Uh, The cleanup continues following the devastation caused when Storm Babette hit Cork last Wednesday, a storm has never caused such damage. Now. I know back in two thousand and fifteen there was a real uh, a, a real hammering came through, but i don 't think it, i don 't think it was anything as bad as what happened last week and uh, Joe was talking to quite a number of the residents and the business owners and the emergency services who were absolutely fantastic and still are working flat out. Uh, Shifts don't seem to matter anymore because these guys and these women are just saying we'll stay at it as long as we need to stay at it. But so many businesses have been literally wiped out, not just shut down temporarily, but destroyed. And it's unthinkable. Uh, There are no words, and I said this a couple of times last week, trying to console someone who has lost their livelihood, lost their business christmas stock in in the storerooms and that's completely destroyed wedding boutiques that have been completely destroyed and you know these are wedding boutiques that would be taking orders and orders months and months and months in advance costly costly business and uh ria burgoyne is the owner of say i do bridal boutique in middleton and ria's on the phone right now good morning ria
3: good morning gareth
2: um i i'm not sure what to ask i'm I, I I'm in awe of you all first of all for managing just to stay standing through all of this. How are you this morning?
3: Um, this morning is a bit surreal. I think it's all sinking in. Um the last few days have just been so hectic trying to 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 tidy up and and assess the damage um that's been done. Um the support out there has been amazing, so that's keeping us standing. And without it I don't think any of us would be would be would have survived through this um my me myself and and all the other businesses and homeowners in in Middleton um yeah it's been it's been a rough ride absolutely um and it you know today it's it's just really about sitting down and making a plan to go forward um which is the most important thing for me today and this morning is is to start planning my future
2: where do you start
3: Where do I start? Um, I'm one of the luckier ones. I do have insurance, flood insurance. Um, I do have a high excess. So um, we're just waiting for um, assessors to come and talk to us and see exactly where we stand on that. Um, We start with reassuring our customers that um, we're very much working to get back in business we're we're looking for a temporary home so that we can we can look after the brides as you put it that have placed orders with us and whose dresses are due in and many of them waiting to come in thankfully that hadn't arrived yet we we were we were so lucky that only one bride's dress got damaged um, through this, simply because at the time of year, all of our Christmas weddings, um, all of those brides have collected their dresses and have moved on to the fitting stage. And then there's a bit of a lull. And then maybe in about three weeks time, the dresses for spring and summer weddings would have started to come into us. Um, so in three w- in three weeks' time, it would have been a very different story. Um, so at least there's only one bride that's been affected. Her wedding is in March. We've been in touch with her. We've reassured her. We've been in touch with the supplier and they're working already and getting her a replacement. So she's going to be fine. Yeah,
2: that's great um, news. Ria, Ria so can, you, can, you take, can you take us back to Thursday morning? Um, for, for those who may not have heard it, Uh, What what happened and how quickly did it happen and when did you Ah. realise that this was going to be a catastrophe?
3: Um, I suppose the weather was bad from the start on Thursday morning or Wednesday morning and um, the roads started to deteriorate around locally around Middleton. I live outside Middleton myself. Um, so I got into work. I was late getting into work just trying to sort children out, drop them to school uh, etc. Uh, so it was about 11 o'clock when I got in and one of my staff members was inside. She travelled from Cove um, and by about 12 we started to realise that things were deteriorating. Um, she lives in Cove. I was concerned about her safety getting home home so i said i said you know you need to to make plans to get home out of here because we could see that things were getting bad but i think we were more worried about the roads being closed and not being able to get home rather than the business at that stage um but once we stepped outside we so we, we we made as much safe as we, we thought we could we and um once I stepped outside um my, my children went need to be collected from school um and so I decided to go and get them and left the main street and I collected my son from the CBS, which is about a minute drive from where my business is and he got into the car and he had a video from someone and went my god ma'am look at the main street in Middleton mm. And I just looked at him and said, "I've just come from there. That can't be the main street for Middleton. You need to ring whoever sent you that and find out where they are. Where is that flooding? Thinking it's obviously on its way. I better get back to the shop and get save some stuff. Um, but it was the main street of Middleton. So in the matter of I, literally five ten minutes that I left, the whole place had flooded. Luckily." Um, Shirley had gotten out, I was out, and or we had moved our cars from the car park because that was completely underwater by the time I got back down to the the, the bridge coming into town. Now, yes. So it literally happened without warning. People were sitting in restaurants having lunch, people were having their hair done, people were walking up and down the street. It literally happened in minutes.
2: And within minutes, this was, of course, the, the river, um, the, the Onakura, literally breaking its banks. So you're getting... yes. Thousands and thousands of gallons of water flowing down the street every second, and so within yeah. seconds you had four foot deep water floods within the shops and boutiques.
3: It it well it rose. It went from about a foot to within an hour to about four or five foot. It came came yeah. came to five foot down down my end of town, and that sat there for hours and hours. Then yeah. Mm.
2: So what did you mind me asking what does today hold Now I know we're keeping a close eye on the, the, the rain there's a rain belt moving in from Waterford it's it's kind of heading westwards so we're keeping an eye on on that today and there's a high tide I think mm-hmm. around about 12:30 mm-hmm. Um it,
4: it,
2: are, are you working today at trying to restore some some, some form of sort of semblance
3: yeah um, the the whole inside of my um, shop needs to be um, gutted all our partitioning needs to come out because obviously it's been water damaged um, we're waiting on assessors to come so we can't cha- move our stock yet so that's all hanging there looking forlorn on, on the rails um, a lot of business have reopened which is fantastic and it's so heartening to see a bit of life coming back onto the main street um, and that gives the rest of us hope that we'll get there too um so you know it's it's just amazing to see the work that has been put in over the last few days and the goodwill that's been out there for to to help businesses get back on their feet so um yeah so today it's 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 just about uh, for me it's about c- contacting customers um we have we've secured somewhere that we can start running our business again have just finalized that and and try and get that into place so that we can start getting deliveries in again um so, yeah, today is, is just about um, starting again and, and um, picking up the pieces and, and moving forward.
2: Okay, well, thanks for talking to us, uh, Ria, and, and we're, we're all thinking of you this morning, I hope. I hope okay. it's a better day than the last few days.
3: Yes, and I'd, I'd just like to take this opportunity to thank everyone. I mean, everybody knows who you are, who's helped, um, from making dinners to mopping floors, to cleaning, st- collecting, dropping. Um, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal and I know that's probably the same thing you're going to hear from anyone you speak to today. Um it has just been amazing the amount of support and help that we've received from everyone. Okay, we'll take um, but keep it coming. It yes, needs yeah. to keep coming. Oh
2: yes, indefinitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah take care, Ria. Yeah. Lovely to talk to you. Okay. Thank you.
3: Okay, thanks Gareth Thank you. Bye bye. Damien O'Brien,
2: the owner of Fox and Co. Menswear in Middleton, joins me now. Morning, Damien.
0: Morning, Gareth. How are you? How are you? Oh, uh, yeah, look for I suppose it's all kinda of starting to kinda of settle into our minds now of what we've been through. Um, and similar to your last caller, it's, uh, we're at a point now we're trying to kind of plan our next move and see when we can get open again.
2: Uh, in, as far as insurance goes, uh, will will you succeed in getting a payout?
0: Um, unfortunately, the policies that we... So we have two shops. We have Flamingo Ladies' Wear, which opened in May 2018, and Fox & Co. Men's Wear, which is about 150 metres away, which opened in June 22. Um... Both shops um, are on a joint policy, and when we started that policy in 2018, we were denied flood insurance. Um, We would have shopped around, as anyone does, and um, four or five uh, brokers kind of came back and said, because there had been flooding in 2015, within another area of the town, we were all part of a flood risk, so uh, we couldn't get uh, flood insurance. I've obviously been trying to uh, follow up with that uh, under the kind of... I suppose the approach that it was a storm, etc. So um, not successful so far. So we're working on the basis that we we don't have flood insurance cover.
2: Have you been able to assess how much damage has been caused?
0: Um, initial estimates... Based on the damage to stock, um, we would have a lot of stock in the store um, this time of the year. Um, the way uh, retail clothing retail works, um, it's seasonally based, so we have autumn, winter, spring, summer that are ordered in advance. So a lot of the stock that started coming in from late August, we ordered in January, February from our suppliers, um, and they're made in the factories and brought to our door um, and over the last six, seven weeks, we we would be bringing in a lot of stock um, for the Christmas season, which is our busiest season. Um, So we're very stock heavy. You know, it would have been a disaster if this happened in January, but we would have had a lot less stock in store. So from that point of view, we've lost about 25% of our stock, uh, similar to the last quarter because it happened so fast. There's only so much we could react to, but we would have had a lot of uh, stock affected. Um, And then on top of that, the kind of fixtures and fittings, um, both shops have um uh, wood flooring that had to come up um and be skipped um and a lot of our fittings have been um skipped now there's other stuff that i thought i could save in the meantime and as we've been drying out the buildings um i've, I've noticed a lot of our wall hanging fittings um the bottom can of let's say four feet of them um has swelled and is damaged and if i take one unit off the wall I can't get it back on so it looks like they're they're gone now as well so uh, my initial estimates were about 75,000 euro um, but I'm waiting on an assessor to come um, tomorrow to um, you yeah, know an independent assessor that, that I'm bringing in to kind of help me properly quantify the, the, the full uh, damage Do, A lot of
2: your colleagues there say that there was no warning given whatsoever uh, except for an email am I right in thinking that?
0: Um, well no warning more than well we get in the general public from the point of view that um heron um would give this colour system of kind of yellow or amber or red. Um there was an amber warning. There was um a hint of it Monday evening and on Tuesday we were told it would affect the Cork County area. There nothing specific to Middleton. Um and then I suppose it's the open to interpretation, what does Amber mean? You know, I've been asking people for the last few days their own interpretation what what do you think a yellow means what do you think an amber means Um, but the people that should know what it means weren't in contact with us Um, we um, saw no sandbags uh, no options for that I I get it that it's kind of caught people unawares because a river that normally isn't a source of flooding uh, was one of the main players this time Um, but uh, I on the day on Wednesday Um, My wife called me at around kind of one o'clock and asked me to have a look on the cameras. I was working um, from home in Cove and I could see that there was water outside her shop, um, Flamingo, and I was checking the cameras on Foxico, And um, unfortunately, the cameras went down. Um, What I didn't realize at the time was because there was water already in our store area where our camera hard drive was. Um, By the time I got to Middleton with some homemade sandbags it's too late um there were no sandbags in the area so we didn't get any warning there was no sign of apart from kind of first responders um like coast guard uh, teams and um reactionary i suppose from the uh fire brigade so um to answer your question unfortunately we didn't get a warning the mention of an email um appears to come from um the fact that certain businesses are members of the local chamber of commerce we're not a member um, and those members received an email at some stage during the day, um, which seemed to only target the members, but I'm not sure how effective that was for them.
2: The, uh, the front page of the Irish Times this morning, flood relief payment set to exceed 70000 uh, This is based on the new plan being finalised this week by Simon Coveney. Um, Business owners whose premises were badly damaged will each be entitled to apply for payments with a maximum in excess of 70,000. Now, there's no sign on, in this article as to when that money will become available, but you'd imagine it would be have to be made available within the next couple of weeks, wouldn't you?
0: Um, Or sooner, Gareth, you know, like the the initial... um, So I suppose they're they're basing this on a a relatively recent scheme they've used with the Irish Red Cross. Um, I've had a look on that link to that site um, for recent flooding in Kerry and Wexford, and that was based on an initial 5,000 with a maximum to 20,000. The initial 5,000... Was you know, quote an immediate um, release of funds. Um, I don't know what our base will be. I'm hoping it's above 5,000 initially because our wage bill is close to 5,000 each week. So each week we're closed, um, we have to pay our staff. We're going to prioritise making sure that they're paid. Um, We've contacted all our suppliers. Um and we have heard back from about half of them. They're all pretty understanding and to kind of defer our payments, which would be, as I mentioned, a high at this time of the year. Um the the, the up to seventy thousand, how long that will take to get to that amount, I don't know. But again, reading through the the link that I looked at on yesterday, um, it does seem to kind of require And understandably, a certain amount of um, due diligence and certain kind of form filling, etc. But if that takes a number of weeks, um, it it could impact us getting open, um, getting our shop put back together. Right now, both shops are empty. We have a warehouse area which is over one of the shops on the first floor level. We were able to move our stock to to that area on Thursday. Um, the damaged stock we've been assessing, um, we've had to kind of um, dispose of quite a lot of it, and we've sent a lot of it off-site for cleaning. But when that comes back in the store, we'll have to sell that at discounted rates. So the, the timing of this fund is welcome, but um, we just have to make sure that it's not too cumbersome for us to get access to it.
2: Yeah. I'm just looking at another article. The government is expecting to approve... A Quick supports, they're calling it, of up to a €10,000, and then payments after full assessment that are capped at multiples of the current €20,000 ceiling. It's all very complicated, and I think as a result of being complicated, it can't really be quick support, can it?
0: Yeah, hopefully, look, um, hopefully it won't be too complicated. But um, yeah, if it takes a number of weeks, we, obviously we're going to be working on the goodwill of our suppliers. Um, we may have to open, you know, the shop in a more raw state rather than the finished state i'm pretty certain that our customers will understand that um you know we would take obviously like any business owner take a certain amount of pride in having you know a good shop we've worked hard to get these shops open in milton over the last few years to a certain standard, and um not having it back at that standard initially um would be kind of difficult, but as long as we're functioning, you know, it may not be a, a proper counter. It could be a kitchen table that we're we're working our till from, but mm-hmm. um, I'm pretty sure people will understand not at such time that we can get things put back together. Of course, on the other side of it is we're nervous about spending any money yeah. on, on the fittings until we're sure what the reports will will be on why this happened, what are the kind of likelihoods of it happening again in the immediate future, and in the longer term, what's happening with the flood relief scheme to, to see, you know, how long this will take. I have a good friend from Bandon, whose brother owns a hotel there, that um, while Bandon is now fully kind of covered by a flood relief scheme, even from the day it was approved, and we're not approved yet In um, with planning in Milton, but from the day it was approved, he flooded four two th- times. That
2: was 2015,
0: wasn't it? I'm not sure the exact timing of it. All I am aware of is that... Um, there was like four floods in the period of when the the scheme was rubber stamped to, to be built and when he you know when it was finally finished so we had to work on that basis too that um we have to make something that's fairly robust um so they don't keep getting hit with with, with the sort of damage
2: well, look, all I can do is wish you the very best, Damien, um, and it's good to talk to you this morning, and indeed to your, your wife, Lara, at Flamingo Ladies' Wear in Middleton. I, I hope the next few days are a better few days than what last week brought us.
0: Yeah, thanks, Garrett. And look, and look I'd also like to kind of uh, acknowledge the help and support we got, you know, from friends and family and customers that we would recognize, the random people that we, we don't know, and I would, you know, I had to ask people's names. There was people just came into our shops and just picked up uh, boxes and just carried them out um, and helped us dispose of uh, stuff. There was like young kids, school-going kids coming in, handing up bottles of water. You know, the, the community spirit was just amazing. And like, I don't know how we ever thank people, but um, it, it was really heartwarming to kind of see everyone rally around on Thursday and Friday.
2: Okay, thanks for giving us some time this morning, Damien, and uh, I, w- we, I wish you well over the next few days. Great to talk to you. Appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Damien O'Brien there, the owner of Fox & Co. menswear in Middleton. 083-396-9696 if you want to give us a shout. Gareth O'Callaghan here on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM for PJ this week. Now, uh, we're going to move on to other topics after 10 a.m. this morning, but for now we still have so many calls coming in following the devastation of last week. Uh, and also, by the way, The Blackpool in Cork City Centre this morning took a real hammering at about 6am. We'll come back to that also very, very shortly. Heavy flooding there, but thankfully it's subsiding slowly. Be careful, please, if you're driving in the area. Now, um, Ronan is a resident in Copper Valley View in Glenmire, and uh, they had atrocious flooding problems there last week, pretty much the same time bang on as Middleton was going through a horrible few days and Ronan's house was destroyed he's on the line now, good morning to you Ronan
1: Good morning Garrett, how are you doing?
2: I'm fine, tell me when you say destroyed um, you would be I, th- I think there are about 10 houses there that are, are now uninhabitable. Isn't that the case?
1: It's about, it's closer to 17, 17 uh, and yeah. a few more affected outside outside as well, yeah.
2: Tell me what happened.
1: So at around 20 past 10 on Wednesday, the water started to come in the front gate of the estate. So there was what's usually a small stream runs across the entrance to the estate. Um, and about 20 past 10, that had risen to um coming over the bridge that enters the estate and started leaking into the estate um by quarter to 11 coming close to 11 it was already up to the front doors and just after 11 it entered the homes all the way along the estate starting on the left hand side and working its way down to the right hand side like rapids it was nearly tie deep and you couldn't stand in it it was so heavy coming into the estate
2: were you at home at the time
1: I was it was my day off. I was supposed to be painting, so
2: yeah. I
1: suppose the silver lining is I got out of painting. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I happened to be there at the time. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. So when the water came in, how quickly did it climb? Ah, uh,
1: very quick. Like I think I spent maybe thirty, forty minutes trying to keep the water out from where from where I saw it entering the estate to keeping it out. To when I realized I lost that fight and then it was to move inside and try and protect the items we had by getting them up on tables and moving electronics upstairs and all that kind of stuff. So, so it, it moved very, very quickly. It went from zero to inside the house within 30, 40 minutes and then went inside the house to, it went two steps up the stairs. So that will give you an idea of how high it went and it was almost instantaneously. It just, it just rose straight away. So yeah.
2: I'd say everything in the kitchen is destroyed, is it? <laughs>
1: Kitchen's gone, yeah, I ripped out the kitchen yesterday, that's gone, or the mm-hmm. day before. Um, all the timber flooring's gone, skirting, doors, architraves gone. Um, yeah, you name it, it's gone. Tables, it timber, chairs, couches. Tables, chairs, yeah. couches, we we saved some of them, we got some of them up. I know some people unfortunately didn't have the time or the opportunity to get stuff up and, and last a lot more than we did, and, and you know, it, it's very sad, and some of the neighbours are devastated. It's half the estate's second time getting done very badly, it was our first time on our side of the estate, but yeah, yeah.
2: Now you've three young boys, and how how are they faring out at the moment? It must be it, it, it. This must be awful.
1: Yeah, they're living with their grandmother across the road. Um, so we we're only living here since January. Um, they they're now staying with their grandmother across the road. One of them is sick today. We don't know if it's related to flooding or not, but he happens to be sick, so he's at the doctors at the minute. The other two are trying to maintain normality and are at school at the minute. So. Um, but it's disruptive for them, you know. It's not not easy napping in their own bedrooms in their own home, like yeah.
2: What about flood insurance? And this is the this in in the last forty eight hours, people are becoming more enraged about the whole flood insurance dilemma that they face. Mm-hmm. I, I know that particularly a lot of companies say that when you claim once, you can't claim again.
1: Yeah. So. There's, like I said, there's about 17 or 18 houses that are affected in the estate. Uh, Half of that number, so maybe 10 or 11 of them, were flooded before. Some managed to maintain their flood insurance. Very, very few of them, I think. Um, On our side of the estate, I think very few have flood insurance as well. Like we moved in January, couldn't get flood insurance because of the history of flooding in the area. So we don't have flood insurance. Um, And I think there's only a handful of people in the estate who do have it. And even those, I think the insurance company are challenging them in terms of whether they're going to pay out or not.
2: Yeah. I, like, did, I'm just wondering, did it occur to people moving into the area to question the, the, the viability of the future of the housing, considering that it is a, fl- a flood-prone area? and if it, there's so many underground rivers there as well.
1: Yeah, well, the way we looked at it, like I said, we're probably, ourselves and, and, and a neighbour two doors up from a are there, newer than us would be the most recent people to move into the area. And we looked at it, the flood release scheme project had start or was certainly starting and it got delayed because of it went back out to tender. Um, and that was starting and there was no history of flooding in the set of houses that we were looking at. Mm. These had never flooded before. No, the other side had these hadn't. So we were kind of willing to roll the dice in terms of it. the locality is fantastic. It's close to schools. It's close to amenities. It was a fantastic choice for us in terms of location. Um, obviously we came with the risk of flooding and we thought, look, you know, there was no history on our side. If the flood relief scheme comes in, the chances are much lower of us getting anything ever on, on that side. But obviously that didn't come to fruition for us. Yeah. yeah.
2: B. Hall Martin visited the area over the weekend. Did you get a chance to talk to him?
1: I did. I had a strong conversation with him, um, I suppose the point I'm making to him is look, I understand there's a humanitarian scheme. He admitted himself that it's not up to spec. It's a thirty five year old scheme and it's not good enough. For me, the the main issues with it is it's means tested for one and two, it doesn't cover enough. So it feels like we're being penalized for being for, for going out to work, we're being penalised for having incomes. You know it, it's a challenge to cover everything, but we feel like we're getting less support for being middle income earners.
2: Mm. Yeah. yeah, well, it's the middle-income earners that uh, we're being squeezed as tightly as they can squeeze us. Exactly. And, uh, I yeah. mean, the, it's a fairly ominous feeling having th- that knowledge hanging over you that you're, you're not going to get flood insurance either, because, I, I well, mm-hmm. we, we like to think it's not going to happen again, but judging by climate change is coming, knocking on our door last week, it looks as if it probably could become a regular occurrence.
1: Yeah, well, I said to Colin Burke, who knocked on my door yesterday, or Saturday, I think, about this exact point of the insurers, that the government need to put more pressure on insurers, and his reply to me was, "Look, there's just not enough in the market. They, they don't, they have too much power now in the insurers because a number of them makes it the market in the last number of years. So they're afraid to put pressure on them." Was the feeling I got from from his reply? Um, in case more of them makes it the market.
2: And and what was Mihal Martin's final word on it? I mean, did did he actually give you guarantees that that something good was going to come out of this?
1: So he said that he knows the scheme's not good enough. He said the government are meeting on Tuesday to, to sit down and look at the scheme. He said he didn't want to make any promises on our doorstep that he couldn't um, couldn't back up, but that they were sitting down Tuesday, they were going to improve the scheme and they were going to come back to us. Um, was the way he left it in terms of of what they were going to do? Yeah.
2: Okay. So what do the next few days hold? Like I, I presume that the house can't be lived in until further no, notice. No.
1: Yeah. No yeah so we were up this morning again because the road flooded outside yeah. um so we were looking at that this morning now thankfully it seems to have receded the river is quite high or the street it's a stream really like everybody's calling it a river but on a normal day it's a one foot stream um that's receded so hopefully we won't see any more flooding over the weekend but everybody's nervous sandbagging is still there neighbors are cutting houses some people have started some work some people haven't Do you know they're, they're dealing with insurance if they have us and it's challenging. It's 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 tough. You know, people are trying to get some sense of normality, get their kids out the door and get back to work. A number of the people in the state are living in hotels, they're not even living in the in the houses. Thankfully local hotels and businesses have been fantastic to us. The amount of support in the community has been amazing. People coming to the door, Ryan Supervalue, Apple Green, Aldi, Grandins, LS Hygiene were fantastic, brought mats and, and sprays. Vienna Woods who were offering space for people to live and gave vouchers to the doors and the amount of just individual people turning up with food and the humidifiers has been overwhelming in fairness, the, the support has been fantastic
2: Yeah, That's great Great community spirit um, and hopefully it will continue uh, in, in yes. the weeks yeah. to come yeah. yeah. Okay, Rona, listen, it's great to talk to you and as I say, I, I, I hope the next few days are a little bit more I, I suppose um, how would you put it? Malleable. I, I, I'm not. It's, I just. <laughs> yeah. I, as I was saying, to friends of yeah. mine. I, I just. There are no words in this situation, and I think until it happens to you, you've no idea yeah. what it must be like. Well,
1: I look. The way I look at it is, no one got hurt, which is the main positive. We can replace floors. We can replace yeah. doors. What we need now is support from the government to do that, and we need to be shown that we're valued members of the community by the government, and. It's onwards and upwards. Look, we can we can fix, we can repair. They need to do work to get the flood relief, you know, done quicker on our side of Glenmire in terms of without har- harming anyone else, but get it done. Our temporary measures in place it's because people are nervous. They, you know, we need to we need that support. Yeah,
2: understandably. Okay, Ronan, take care today, and, um, and to you and your family. Thanks for talking to us this morning. Thanks, Gareth. Take Thank care, brother. That's um, that's Ronan, there, resident in Copper Valley View in Glanmire. Uh, Serious flooding there last week and obviously we're all keeping an eye on the weather again today. Um, Just a couple of you just wondering what that scheme was. Uh, The new plan being finalised by Simon Coveney, no idea when, but uh, the government is expected to approve increased quick supports, they're calling it, of up to €10,000 and then payments after full assessment that are capped at multiples of the current twenty. Thousand euro ceiling. I presume this is businesses they're talking about here, uh, because I can only imagine the number of of residential claims that there will be. But uh, we're going to, as I said, we're going to stay with this story just up until ten o'clock, and we'll come back to um, to talk to another individual who's been badly hit in. Uh, Middleton. Gareth O'Callaghan here for PJ for a few days 0833 lots of comments coming in a lot of flooding uh, of as of this morning just to tell you in terms of traffic and travel Healy's Bridge to Clock Row Cross is closed and the road through Ahada is barely passable so um, not sure how you avoid that because there's only one road through. Apple Garage Hollyhill flooded uh, at the moment Jackie says thank you for that. If you have any traffic or travel news and it's safe to Text us, please don't text while you're driving. 0833 96, 96, 96 We're staying with the torrential rain and the extremely bad flooding aftermath from last week. And it's just relentless. It's heavy rain outside our window here again this morning, but it is due to clear for the city and most of the west of the county at around about two or three this afternoon. Not the case with the east of the county extremely heavy rain moving in there and they're now worried that Waterford City and County uh, particularly along the west coast there or the south coast will take a hammering this afternoon so just keep it in mind if that's in your direction later on Shauna Savage runs Secrets of Beauty in Middleton and she joins me now Good morning Shauna
5: Hi, good morning, Gareth. How are you today?
2: I, I'm fine, and <laughs> I, I'm kind of counting my blessings because oh. um, I remember. do You know, we we presented a couple of sort of shows down through the years from Middleton, and I absolutely yes. love the town. It's it's yes. one of these towns that it's self-contained and everybody knows everybody, and there's a great yeah. spirit in the in the town itself. How are you this morning?
5: Well, I'm I'm one of the lucky ones, and for me to say that with my hand on my chest is just it's unbelievable what has happened to the town here the catastrophe the destruction people's businesses homes but the people of Middleton and surrounding East Cork have been fantastic absolutely amazing to see their faces walking through the town on thursday it was like armageddon there was no words but people came together the kids just of all ages of all ages because the way it happened how it happened it's just caused utter destruction so as a town we have to come together to support businesses that are in vital need now now the aftermath is here now they're going through everything. Now is when the help for homes and the businesses is vitally needed. I'm lucky. I'm in an incline. I am down in Corraby Court in the car park, where across from me, only across, Porea in the bridal shop and the Immaculate Medical Centre have been absolutely destroyed. Mm. To walk into the medical centre on Thursday to see everything, and I mean everything in a practice a well-established practice that takes care of so many people in the surrounding area of East Cork. We need to get people's practices back up and running. And if I can help in any way I can, I will. I've given them my salon. They have treatment rooms in there. (laughs) I worked on Saturday and I came out and I did as best as I could but I have to do something. Mm. There is a, this is an essential. It's, this is essential for people, and it's great. I'm actually in the car park now. I just dropped in the last bits of furniture to them to see them. They are just so thankful. Um, to be able to help patients. This isn't just, you know, this is helping people and patients of the East Cork and surrounding area. It's not just their practice. Other practices have been wiped out. But we will make Middleton great again because it is, and it it, it has always been a marvellous town. But now... You know, I mean, what, what, I have to do something, and this is what I can do. If I can do it, I will help as many people as I possibly can, like anybody else. I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm on an incline, but just across just across five mm. foot of water in their premises.
2: This is uh, I know Dr. Mike Thompson, who Joe yeah. spoke to last week. Yeah. Uh, the center had almost 100,000 euro worth yeah. of medical yeah. equipment, completely destroyed. Yeah
5: destroyed. We, we gauged, um, when I was there, um, the water level had obviously resided, but the damage was obvious. 94,000 euros worth into three skips between electric couches, um, refrigeration, everything. You can Anything you can imagine within a surgery, gone. So I they guess, have to yeah. build everything back up.
2: When you think everything. of this time of the year, Shauna, like you're looking at flu vaccine jabs, you you're looking at COVID you are. boosters, you are. pneumonia jabs, yeah.
5: Everything, just to see the doors open to the salon and the first patient to go in was a little child, you know, yeah. to see now that people are being able to go in and get what they need, is vital. Yes, it's flu season, people are sick, I'm, I'm healthy, I'm okay, so I'm going to do whatever I can to help anybody that needs it. And I know people in Middleton, like, everybody needs help now. You know, Mm. everybody needs help. It's not just going to stop, like, because they have to build the businesses up. But what if this happens again a week after they build their businesses? What happens? But as a town, we stick together. And we will get through this, because Middleton is mighty.
2: Did you get a chance to talk to the Taoiseach last week? No, I did
5: not. No, I didn't. How did you feel
2: feel about his visit to the town? Because I know there was a lot of anger.
5: Personally, for me, I suppose, my head, along with all of the businesses, we were kind of just fighting for each other and helping each other. Mm. I know he made his way onto the main street, but I really do think like he could have made an impact. And taken five minutes just to come down and see the catastrophe down the back and all the side streets as well. Go and see people's homes. Walk in and see children's faces. You know, parents, this side of Christmas. It's just, but uh, I repeat, we will and we are going to get the town back.
2: You're on the way back. What about your own business? When, when will you get to open
5: the doors again? <laughs> my own business? Well I'm, well, I'm lucky. I'm 21 years trading. I'm a, a one-woman show, as all people <laughs> will know. Good for you. <laughs> so, you know, listen, uh, like, my clients are great. My clients are great. They will understand I'm not essential but I know my ladies, if I can get in my car and if I can go to them, I will. But Michael and his um, practitioners are essential. Yeah. They need to take care of folk. Well, Shana, so,
2: can I say, with, with sounding, <laughs> listening to your resilience this morning, you're very essential. <laughs> if we could just bottle a yeah. little bit of it now well, today, that'd be great.
5: <laughs> Listen, you know, look, we do what we do. And we keep going. And... Um, you know, we just, like, I just can't repeat it enough. The people of Middleton have been amazing. The kids, to see them out on the streets, lifting and shifting stuff. And, you know, people supplying food outside the library, the Middleton hub, everywhere. Tesco's little. You know, just keep mm. it coming because, as I say now... Now is when people are going to need it. So, yeah. you know, again, I'm one of the lucky ones, but that doesn't mean that we don't suffer people who, aren't, who don't have it, do you know?
2: And this is where social media comes into its greatest, okay. isn't it? Yeah.
5: It is. Oh, it is. I mean, even when I posted yesterday, having to word that I was handing the salon over to a practice, the the amount of kind messages of people, and for me, that's lovely, but, you know, people need the essential practitioners open. They need their GPs. Yeah. And, and here we are. If I can do it, then I've done it. And please, God, in time, as I say, a good turn will come to me. You know, I mean, what goes around comes around. But people are, are in desperate need. So we must keep going.
2: Well, Shauna, you've lifted a lot of spirits, I would say, this morning. Thank you for (laughs) talking to us.
5: Thank you, Gareth. And to everybody in Middleton and surrounding East Cork area, stay strong and let's get to it together. Thank you, Gareth. Thank you. Lovely to talk to you, Shauna. Thank you. you.
2: Shauna Savage running um, Secrets of Beauty for the moment just on hold because she has uh, very benevolently handed over her entire premises to Dr. Mike Thompson's team uh, who, as you know, the medical centre there, which... When you consider that the population of Middleton is 15,000, probably well in excess of that. It's a very busy medical centre, so um, Shauna Savage there talking to us uh, about that, and that's where you'll be able to avail of Dr Mike Thompson's care and attention, and to all of his staff as well, we wish them well today. It's Gareth O'Callaghan here for PJ Today. Um, As I say, we'll come back to the the flooding and the damage caused and the prospects of further bad weather between now and 12. But there are a couple of other topics I know you'll enjoy. Good morning to you. It's Gareth O'Callaghan here with uh, the second hour of the Opinion Line this morning. PJ will be back, I think, next week. He's taken a few days off because he had a little bit of an accident and uh, he's recuperating in South Infirmary uh, at the moment. And uh, they're, as they do, looking after him very, very well. So we wish him well. Now, I see um, the ESB is set to spend more than 20 million euro on gift vouchers for thousands of its staff. In recognition of the cost of living pressures that they're under, the company has confirmed. Uh, Conor Pope writing in the Irish Times today, the group employs more than 8,000 people, 6,500 of them in line for two separate bonus payments worth 2,000 in total, one of which will be paid before Christmas, with the second payment to be made early in 2024. And by splitting the bonus payments into two distinct vouchers, it means the bonus payments will be tax-free to the ESB employees. The scheme has been approved by unions across the the, the group. Well, of course it would be, wouldn't it? In an e-tender document published on the government's procurement website, the ESB said it was seeking tenders for the supply of the vouchers, which it has said will cost it an estimated 21 million euro. Now it's great if you work for the ESB and you're going to get a €2,000 voucher. Um, But I'm thinking to myself, and Ronan in Glenmire made the point there, and it's something that we need to keep reminding other people who aren't in the situation. It's the middle earners who are being squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. And uh, we'll all remember the COVID payments uh, for gas and electricity. But I was thinking to myself, uh, 21 million, okay, let's call it 20 million. 20 million. Um, 21 million. If they were to give 200 euro to customers as a Christmas payment, okay? Let's face 200 euro to their staff as well. Let's chip them in. That's 100,000 customers getting a 200 euro payment. 100,000 customers getting a 200 euro payment as a Christmas gift from ESB. But they've decided instead uh, to spend the 20 million on gift vouchers for thousands of their staff in recognition of the cost of living pressures that they're under. Now, the money that the ESB is making in order to make available the 20 million is the money that they're making on the bills that we're all paying them. So it's a little bit of food for thought. Uh, I'd love to hear your comments on that anyway. But well done to all of the ESB staff. You're in for a small windfall and a tax-free windfall at that. Oh, yes. Oh, those middle earners. Yeah, and uh, I've no doubt that there'll be more to come. That I think at this stage we've kind of become inured to the fact that we're never going to be rich. Now, uh, our number is 083 96 96. If you'd like to text us or send us a voice note or get involved in any of the items. We're going to come back to the flooding a little later. But here is a question: um, Do you think Cork needs more clubs? Is Cork doing enough to entertain the masses at night time? Well, Jamie doesn't seem to think so. Jamie, good morning. Good morning. Um, tell me first of all, uh, you are you're of a clubbing age, aren't you?
4: Yeah, I am twenty one. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, that's a real ageist question. I am um, like I am a little bit older, and I don't see myself going to many clubs. Most people would mistake me for a bouncer on the door, but probably an older bouncer. So why, why do you not think there's enough out there?
4: I just don't think there's a lot to offer out there, you know. A lot of places now are 23s and stuff, so when I was younger, I couldn't wait to turn 18 to be able to go out. But then I turned 18, and I couldn't get nowhere because it was all 21s. And now I'm 21, I can't get nowhere because it's 23s. Do you know what I mean? mm mm-hmm.
2: And, like, when you say there was nothing out there, absolutely nothing or it was just limited?
4: It was just very limited. There was no selection or anything. Like, I remember growing up and seeing videos of the, the you know, Savoy. Yeah. Seeing videos of that. Like, and, you know, now, there, now there's nothing like that. Everywhere is. Like, the ca- capacity in places isn't very high. Mm. So you're getting turned away and off a lot from places
2: when I think back, last Friday, or last Saturday night, Saturday night just gone, the uh, the 90s disco at Three Arena, and I think there were 5,000 people. You couldn't get a ticket for months beforehand. It was absolutely packed capacity and it was a brilliant, brilliant night. Why don't they do something like that here? Like a rave, as it were, although the Gardaí won't like me using that word, but basically that's, that's what it is, isn't it?
4: Yeah, I, I think they just don't have the venues in Cork. They they, don't, they didn't put the money in the, into the industry, do you get me? Yeah. So it was just, I don't know, they don't want to build anything for younger people because they think it's going to cause trouble and stuff like that. But I think not having the places there is causing more trouble because people are just ending up on the streets, aren't they?
2: Yeah. And so, like when you say on the streets, you mean that because they've nowhere to go to, they hang around on the streets?
4: Yeah. See, like if if you have people inside a building... You have security in there, you have, you know, bouncers, you you can monitor what's happening, but when you don't have that, everyone's just on the streets and then it's just chaos, isn't it?
2: Yeah. And you're saying that a lot of Cork a lot of young Cork people are going to Dublin now for their nights out, is that true?
4: Yeah, like me and my friends have been to Dublin four times in the last two months, like.
2: And where do you stay? How can you afford the accommodation in Dublin?
4: Uh, we just find cheap hotels near the city like and we go, go in turds and stuff on the hotel room so it's cheaper and you'd, be, you'd almost spend more night out here than you would up in Dublin like
2: yeah w- w- yeah and uh, do you mind me asking do you drink? <laughs> yeah right. so uh, well presumably the the cost of alcohol in Dublin would be a real damper wouldn't it?
4: it would yeah but see when you're up there the atmosphere like you wouldn't w- be drinking as much but whereas here, the atmosphere wouldn't be as much because places wouldn't be as crowded. So you'd just kind of be at the bar constantly getting drink.
2: Yeah. And wh- whereabouts are you talking about the likes of the Academy in Camden Street and that?
4: <coughs> yeah, I see uh, the warehouse now. They, open, they opened up three places in Dublin in the last like two months. They opened up the warehouse, Silo and Index. Right. So the dead Silo holds 3,500.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, like, see, I suppose then with the population of Dublin and, as you say, the attraction of people coming to Dublin for a good night out, it guarantees these places will be packed.
4: I know, but, like, they're bringing in big names as well, like, do you know what I mean? They Like, you look at Index later after bringing in a load of DJs from Australia and stuff like that, but you can't do that here because they don't want to come to Cork because they don't, they won't bring the crowd, like, because they can't. There's no place to have the crowd.
2: yeah. You're right, because I'm trying to think here in my head. Where where would you hold a crowd of of a thousand people? I um, I, I suppose like voodoo rooms would probably be the biggest location, wouldn't it?
4: Probably, but that's three floors, isn't this?
2: Yeah.
4: So, like, how much how much can you fit on each floor?
2: Yeah. I'm not sure what the capacity is, but that's the only venue that I can think of offhand. Are there any other big venues in Cork City like that would provide a night like the likes of Silo?
4: I, I don't think so. I don't even think there would be a place close to it, to be fair.
2: Right. And when you look at some of... I know that there are a couple of huge clubs on the outskirts, like in some of the... You know, you head out towards Bandon, you head out towards Clon, and then if you if you head... Head north, you know. You're you're looking at a couple of big venues further north into the county. These would have been the old sort of ballroom <coughs> venues that are, are, are. They're just lying. They're lying empty. A lot of them.
4: See, that's it. There's a lot of places left idle. Like, you know, Wetherspoon's there's shut. The, uh, supposed to be shutting them soon. Yeah. Like that's that's two floors. Like that could easily be turned into something a lot bigger. Like, you know.
2: Would you be interested in a business opportunity yourself?
4: Oh no! I wouldn't
2: be able to run a business now at all. <laughs> well, there's I think, in fairness, you know, whatever about a business, I think opening up, say, a Friday or a Saturday night in a building that you know really doesn't it it doesn't really have a kind of a, a purpose any longer. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of owners would be interested to hear your uh, proposal. You know, a lot of money to be made. Yeah,
4: yeah, there is, because the, the industry is huge in Cork, like, I, like I've, thought, I've put it on my story and stuff on Snapchat and a lot of people have been texting me about it. Like,
2: Yeah, well do you know what I'll do? I'm going to throw the idea out there Jamie, um, you know, you, you could be the next Peter Aiken, uh, you know, or, or maybe Dennis Desmond from MCD. These are the guys who seized the opportunity years ago because nobody was bringing in the big artists. Yeah. And they decided yeah. to bring in some of the huge names of the, the 80s and the 90s and that. So maybe this is an opportunity, an opening for you. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm, I'm going to throw it out. If there's a, a very big venue in the city or the county that would be interested in hosting a night, the likes of you, say, uh, Silo in Dublin. Now, it opened three, didn't it, in, in the last two months?
4: Yeah. What were the other two? Uh, they opened the warehouse in the Redhill complex, yeah. and they opened the index as well. Index, that's the one, yeah.
2: So just we'll throw it out, and we'll see if anyone comes back to us with a venue, and we'll see where it might be taken from there. Okay. Yeah, that's perfect. Great, great to talk to you, Jamie. Thanks a lot. You too. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot. Okay, just uh, like what sort of if you're off this week, and I know we're kind of heading towards mid-term territory. Um, what kind of clubs? would you like to see here? Okay, now I'm not just talking to like Jamie's 21, but for the likes of those of you who are over 23, or even, you know, I know Pop Scene, which is part of Voodoo Rooms, they cater for 80s music audiences. Very successful night there. I mean, there were some great range of clubs here with different music in Cork down through the years. Everyone remembers Henry's, uh, Red's, there was Hysteria, and there were some great club nights like Freak Scene and then Telefunken, who remembers that? Um, Jamie, would love to see the Savoy open again and that would be a, a perfect venue. Anyway, let us know. 083-396-9696, 083-396-9696. Now, uh, loads of locals cleared the, the drains in Blackpool, actually in the village this morning. And when I was coming in, I made the mad daft uh, sort of decision that I'd catch the 7 o'clock bus just to get some fresh air. What I didn't realise, of course, was that the rain was waiting for me to leave the house and it caught me. But uh, the, it was around about six fifteen, six thirty this morning, there was a deluge uh, all over Cork City that was... merciless and there were flood fears in blackpool this morning and the community rallied to avoid the catastrophe chris moody's on the phone morning chris how's it
6: going gareth how are you
2: i'm very well thank you i'm i'm good um and i'm counting my blessings because when i consider the the devastation that's been happening over the last few days and my fear is that it's not gone away that there could be more to come when when were you alerted to the possibility that there were floods rising, as it were, out of the the shores, and that.
6: Well, it, there was nothing rising out of the shores. It was uh, in Blackpool Village on this occasion. Uh, there was a torrential downpour. I, I can't remember the time exactly, but it was close. It was it was around after midnight, I think. Yeah. Um, and I live in Blackpool Village, and I live just off the road from the time kind of the main street there, uh, Thomas Davis Street, and um, I hear the deluge. And uh, thinking back to last Wednesday. I thought I'd go and have a look because there is definitely a drainage issue uh, in front of the shops there. Last Wednesday, there was, uh, there was water coming down from Spring Lane running into the centre of the village. Now there was also contribution from the river. Um, later, uh, later in the event, it was splashing out from the holes in the wall there. It got very high, but there is definitely a problem with service water runoff. Blackpool Village is shaped like a bowl. Mm-hmm. And of course, all roads lead to Blackpool Village. But anyway, I heard this this rainfall, and it was very heavy. And I thought, what I'll do is I'll put on my waders and I'll grab a rake and I'll go down there and have a look. Now I expected to find people there already clearing it because there are sandbags placed in front of the the chemist and the the, the shop there. They were they were both they they had um, measures in place last Wednesday, but they were both affected to some degree or other. I'm not sure exactly how badly. But they've been, they've had uh, flooding issues there for years and years. Um, so uh, there was a big puddle in front of the shops, and the problem with the, the puddles is that the cars drive through them as well, mm. and that forces these waves. I, I mean, I saw it last Wednesday. I was walking along, and there's just been waves of water. They go into the fronts of the shops and over the pavement into buildings. So I took the rake and I cleared there. But there were leaves. There were leaves over a number of shores there. Uh, some of the shores seem to have been silted up. Um, but but the water drained away in about three or four minutes, and um, that big puddle, that gigantic puddle, was gone. And I thought I'll go and have a look somewhere else because I drive down the Watercourse Road a couple of times, and during rain you'll see there's a big puddle there down towards the end. The chemist, the chemist the, the chemists there, a pharmacy. Um, there's usually a huge puddle there, and again, same thing. Cars drive through that, and it goes spraying everywhere so uh i uh, i actually left my rake behind at, the, at that stage so i just used a stick i had in the boot and um i just cleared the leaves and the cod again cleared in a few minutes and um you know i it's a small thing you can do and it just makes a difference
4: yeah you know? because the, the leaves
2: compact don't they once they get wet they they it's almost like they form a cover over the the, the shore
6: yeah well vegetation is the best I mean it's it if you look back to Blackpool and we used to have trash screens here and uh, no matter the rubbish it was the vegetation that they washed downstream it would just match and form this perfect block so leaves yeah they're just uh, you know and that was what it was it was leaves that were that were blocking the shores the the drains or shores as they're called
2: Okay Chris good to talk to you this morning take care you're welcome, thanks again. Thank thanks. you very much, thank you. Uh, that's just that's Chris Moody there, just looking at photographs on um, Chris's, I think that must be his Facebook page, Torrential Rain in Blackpool Village. Overnight, a lot of people saying here this morning in the office that uh, the rain was so heavy overnight that it woke them. Um, and he said he, he raked the leaves from the drains and it cleared quickly. The drains are clearly silted up, some blocked entirely. But if you have a good stick and it's happening maybe near where you're working or where you're living, just poke the leaves and try and clear them, rather than push them down the shore, try and clear them and that may just clear some of uh, the, the blocked up water. 83 oh, 396 96 that's our number. Gareth yeah, O'Callaghan so here for PJ Today, and uh, just to remind you in terms of traffic and travel, uh, the very heavy rain overnight, Blackpool Village now, still very heavy water, but the flooding seems to have abated a little bit. It's cleared quite quickly in the main street there in the Blackpool Village, uh, but just be aware that um, flooding along the sides, and, you know, as someone who walks a lot, uh, it's not nice when an SUV passes you and leaves you completely soaked in the space of a tenth of a second, especially when you have to wear the clothes for the rest of the day. Anyway, uh, Victor Meldrew here in the seat this morning. Now, uh, Healy's Cross to Clockrow Clo- uh, Cross is closed. Healy's Bridge, should I say, to Clockrow Cross. Uh, Clock row cross is closed. Very heavy water there. Road through Ahada, uh, barely passable this morning, and Apple Garage, Holly Hill, we hear very heavily flooded there. Thank you for all of the texts in relation to traffic and travel. 083 3 96, 96 96. 96 FM. Our proud sponsors of the Mercy Heroes Initiative, as you'll know. And every year we hear incredible stories from cancer survivors and families of those who were not so fortunate. And I'm joined on the line right now by Anton, who is a testicular cancer survivor. Hi, Anton. Hi, Garrett how are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Uh, tell me, tell me the background to your story.
7: Um, basically, uh, at the end of 2018, I started getting back pain, I suppose. Um, it got progressively worse. Uh, I was going for physio and physio wasn't working. So it got so bad that one Monday morning, I remember, in February of 2019, I would have got out of bed and walking was a bit of a struggle. So went to my GP. Um, he sent me for an MRI. Um, so I went up the Tuesday morning to get the MRI in the matter private. And he rang me when I was on the way down. Um my GP who was Dr. Dennis Cotter, Lord Mercy he's since passed away, but um he rang me on the way down to see where was I to turn around that they're to be above me, CUH. UH and basically the roller coaster started from there. I was diagnosed that week and that's where the roller coaster started.
2: And within days you you had surgery, is isn't that the case?
7: That's right. So that would have been a Tuesday I went up. Um I was diagnosed on the Wednesday, uh, I had surgery that Friday, and I started chemotherapy in the Mercy on that April it was, and that's where my relationship with the Mercy would have started.
6: Mm.
2: When when did you start chemotherapy?
7: I started chemotherapy in early April of that year, in 2019.
2: And that was when you came under the care of Derek Parr, Professor Derek Parr, an that's extraordinary
7: right. individual. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. He's just—he's uh, a mystery man, really. He's what, what work, the work he does is just—it's absolutely magnificent, to be honest. And the care he got in the mercy was just second to none, to be honest, with you.
2: Tell me a little bit about Professor Power because you know, from from what I can gather, he he definitely goes above and beyond the call of duty, doesn't he?
7: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, really, anytime, day or night, you can ring Doctor Power, and it's just he will he will bow down to you like it's just the work he does he's so good with patients, he makes you you're you're going through the worst time of your life and he makes you you know, he, he really makes you feel comfortable when you are going through chemo. He he's really to talk to he's really good with patients. Um he's so understanding, you know, he's he's like just a normal person. it's not like you're talking to a consultant when you're talking to him, it's like you're talking to one of your friends, you know, it's just really good man. Really good man.
2: How was your mood? how How did you feel?
7: Um, sure, I was not far more than poor. You know, um, there was stages there, definitely towards the end of my chemotherapy. Um, I went through a bad spell. I got a blood clot in my arm, and as a result, of that I got pneumonia. On top of that, so things were really down. I was really down that time. Um, that's kind of where the care I got in the rest came in. The nurses there in St. Teresa's Ward, they They knew I was down, they knew I was really down, and they kept a very close eye on me. Um, I can safely say that if I didn't get that kind of care, that things could have been different. Um, I mightn't be here talking today. So, really, that's just... That's really the the care I got inside university, you know? Yeah.
2: Like, when you think of a a group of of the staff in, in a ward that is so critical to the well-being and to just to the, the mental stability of someone who's going through this um, extremely difficult situation. How did they cheer you up? I mean, I, I know how busy they are, but you, you're you saying that they took time just to, to chat and to text and to keep in touch with you, didn't they?
7: They did, absolutely. And I know, if, like, there was a couple of nurses there that definitely during that hard time that they would have stayed beyond their shift and just kept a close eye on me and came in and thought, just sat down and had the chats and you know, they kept they kept the mind ticking over, you know, I didn't have they didn't kind of didn't give me a chance to you know, th- think to sit down and think, you know, I was kind of going through the time where it was kind of a... why me syndrome, you know, why why did I get this? What did I do in a previous life? Mm. Um and they knew that and they they were they were really, really helpful. Even though know, they were on first nails based with a lot of the my bodies that were in and out of the hospital, which is oh you know, that says that tells its own story, you know. Mm.
2: And then just when you were looking forward to Christmas, the cancer came back, didn't
7: it? That's right. Um, I remember, I think, we finished up for the holidays and I was going home for work looking forward to the Christmas party the following day. And it was a Friday evening and Derek Powers' name came up my phone. And I was just after going for a scan the previous week and I knew that it wasn't good. You know, he did not want ringing ring for the chats, he was on a Friday evening. Um, so I had to go in that. The following day, I suppose, or the following Monday. Sorry, Mm. Um, they didn't. I went for tests, and they didn't tell me what was wrong. But I knew fine that was wrong. Though they were they were trying to fucking they were trying to go around the whole subject. But I knew what was wrong. So after Christmas Day, I found out that cancer had come back. So I was facing another battle with chemo.
2: And then you were right into like COVID slapped you in the face. Then at
7: that stage, that's right. Um, There was a plan kind of put in place for my chemotherapy, but it changed in when. COVID hit, um I had to get my chemo in C O H because of they couldn't keep me for a weekend below in the, the Mercy. Um so that kinda of threw me as well because I had a relationship built with the team the Mercy and everyone sent toward. Um so going to C O H for chemo was a totally different for me. Yeah. Um no, don't get me wrong, the care I got in C O H was second to none as well. But the team, the Mercy Raw, was my and call. They were the the go-to people. So even so, though
2: even though you you couldn't go into Saint
7: Teresa's ward, they
2: were at the end of the phone if you needed.
7: them. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And there's often I rang them. You know, I, I would would rang the nurses that I knew there just to just for a bit of advice or whatever, and um, because I felt comfortable talking. They were like they were like family to me. So that's why um that's why they were still my and calls. You know.
2: And how long did you have to wait, Anton, to 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 get the green light to get the all clear?
7: Um, I got the odds here in July of 2020. Yeah. So, so about a month after I finished my chemo, um, I went in for another MRI, and I met Derek Power in mid-July of 2020, and he gave me the odds so, here. And
2: they they continue to keep a close eye on you.
7: Absolutely, yeah. Every six months, I uh, I go into the mercy for a CT scan or whatever, and I meet Derek Power, and. My GP, Dr. John Linson Bantry, keeps a real close eye on me, so they're really keeping tough we know at this time.
2: Yeah. How how do you feel today? How do you feel
7: now? Oh great. Great. Yeah. Um everything back to normal, back to work. Um back really involved in the J Club. Um life is, life is good at the moment, so I can't can't complain.
2: Yeah. Okay, look, Anton, it's great to talk to you and uh, a a really great survivor story. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much, Gareth. Thank you very much. Now, um, Chloe is on the line. Hi, Chloe. Hi, Harry. I'm fine. Now, your brother Ian died in 2021,
8: didn't he? He did. Yeah, he passed away in January 2021. Um, and as great as it is that we get to hear the stories, like it's so lovely to hear the people that have survived. You know, it's so sad that Ian doesn't get that story, but it's still so lovely to listen to all the fundraising and stuff that, that can make. A, a good impact on people's him.
2: Now, Ian was 28 when he passed away. Can you tell me his story?
8: He was. So he got diagnosed with sarcoma cancer when he was 25. Um, he had been sick for a while and it was it's really difficult to detect. So um, he had travelled over to visit my parents in Spain um, and they hadn't seen him for a couple of weeks. So straight away they knew something was up. He visited a hospital over there and they sent him home. They said he needed to go home straight away, but they suspected a tumour. Um, so when he came home, he kind of went between a few places trying to get answers, I suppose. And in the end, the mercy was suggested to us. Dr. Perry was suggested um, so Ian went to the Mercy in, I think it would have been the end of July, 20, um, the end of July 2018, um, and he met Dr. Perry. and from there, he was so cared for. We knew from the start that Ian wasn't going to get better from this. We knew that there was, he could do a little bit of treatment, but there was no cure. Um, initially, he had been told by a different doctor that he would survive for three months, possibly six, but that the words used were essentially there wasn't much point in treatment so I think he was really down and just I don't know if I was him I think I probably would have given up but he never had that attitude um when he met Dr. Perry he asked Dr. Perry he said you know I've been told I have three months do you think this and Dr. Perry never gave him a time scale he never said you have three months he never said I can't do anything for you there's no point there was none of that he just said I'll do everything that I can for you. And he did. Ian survived for two and a half years, which we think he he beat the odds. He used to call it borrowed time. Um, it was every single second of it. It was just time that we didn't think we'd have. And a lot of that was during COVID, which I know there's so many bad memories connected with COVID, but my family, I think we were so grateful for all that time that we got to spend at home money in. It was time that if the world was moving at a normal pace that we would have been out at work and everyone would have been doing their own thing. You know, I think it's little things like that that we're really grateful for.
2: And I I presume Professor Power made a huge difference to the whole treatment programme, did he?
8: Absolutely. He made every second of it so much easier for him. He used to be able to call him whenever he wanted. He used to go in and meet him and he could come out smiling, even if he was being told that, look, things mightn't be working the way that they should just with how much of a friend he was to him and how much he gave him so much encouragement and really made him keep going.
2: Yeah, I, I sometimes question the need to tell someone that they may only have three months or six months because I think it uh-huh. it, it puts a block really on, on making an effort to try to see beyond that for so many people, doesn't it?
8: Yeah, and I mean, like, in a way, the fact that we had been given that three-month timescale and then he lived for two and a half years, it was nice to see that he could outlive that. But I can only imagine for those three months every day, he must have been counting down thinking... God, now I only have two months left. You know, I, I can't imagine the, the headspace he must have been in. And he was he was only 25. And mm. I think I was 20 at the time. And I think I must have thought that he was so much older and so able to cope with it. But now that I'm that age, I realise how difficult it must have been for him. And it was, I don't know, I, I don't know if anyone realised how much that was for him. He never... Spoke about it. Really, he he just acted like things were fine. He was before COVID. He was off going to stag's and just living his life the best that he could. And um, he never really let it get to him.
2: Yeah. Now I know he adored the the, the staff in the mercy, didn't he?
8: absolutely loved them. He loved all the nurses. He used to be, um, Love Island would have been on at the time because it was the summer and he used to be chatting with the nurses about that and he'd come home, he'd be mentioning names there as if there were people he'd met in the pub, but they were the nurses up in the mercy.
2: <laughs> and tell me about um the decision to bring him home so that he could spend his last few days in the, at home with the family.
8: So around Christmas of 2020, he had gotten really sick and by then we knew that his treatment had stopped and he had went for a few trial tests and stuff, but we knew there was nothing else could happen. So by that time, it was the midst of COVID. I think everybody was feeling really down. He obviously being really sick and then not really being able to do anything. And obviously he would have been in a bad headspace. He had spent a bit of time in the Mercy and he came home on Christmas Eve so after Christmas, he, we were delighted that he had, we had him home for Christmas because I think we all knew that it was the last Christmas that we'd have as family. Um, After Christmas, he had went back into hospital, but my parents and himself had spoken to Dr. Power and they had agreed that he could come home. Um, there was talks of him going to a hospice and stuff, but with it being COVID, there's these my mom, my dad, myself and my brother, we wouldn't have all been able to go see him and you know that that wasn't what he wanted it wasn't what we wanted so they helped us to bring him home and um, he came home about a week before he passed um, and they were brilliant they set up everything out in the house for us they had night nurses calling they were so good derek perry used to call and check that everything was okay um he passed away on it was saturday the 21st of january it was just after seven o'clock and I remember saying to my mom, we're going to have to ring Derek Lyra. And I was thinking, look, I'll try him now and I can try him again Monday. And he answered the phone on the Saturday night. I did not expect it at all. Mm. But I think he must have also known that things were coming yeah. to an end for Ian. Like he told me he'd been expecting the call and just even to be able to talk to him and be able to. It nearly felt like a weight off that I'd been able to tell him because I felt like he was such an important person to tell at that time.
2: And Ian never woke up that evening, did he?
8: He didn't know, so it was just after seven. Um, he never woke up, but he just he was asleep and he just didn't wake up. It was really peaceful. It was really no drama. It's exactly exactly what Ian would have wanted—no drama at all.
2: Now I know you got so many wonderful letters and emails and messages from both the staff and indeed other patients at the Mercy, but it was your younger brother Nile, who was twenty when Ian passed away. He he had this this urge to check the notes app. On the phone isn't it
8: yeah right? so like not long before ian had went to sleep he looked like he wasn't holding his phone but he was scrolling it looked like he was scrolling on his phone but there was nothing in his hand um and we were wondering like what's he doing Do you know nobody really knew and after he passed Niall said, he said i don't know why he said i just really feel like i need to check the notes app so he went in and there was one note and it was dated from Ian had went for a test to see if he could get a uh, trial treatment a couple of months previous it was dated from that day mm-hmm. um, and it said don't cry because it's always smile because it happened and that was like the last thing that we ever had for me and it was wow. the last thing that we'd ever read that he'd written and it just it's it really feels so special to us it's really like a message from him to all of us
2: that's the most beautiful sentiment isn't it
8: and it's great to remember him by. it's so yeah. lovely that we have something so positive from it
2: yeah, beautiful. Don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. That's beautiful. Yeah. Chloe, thank you so much and pass on our best wishes to all of the family. And uh, w- what an extraordinary character and uh, doctor Professor Power is. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. it just, uh, it's just extraordinary to hear his love for his patients and just the fact that he devotes practic- practically all of his time carrying that mobile phone with him.
8: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's great. We are really so thankful for him.
2: Great. Okay, talk to you. Thanks, Chloe. It's lovely to talk to you this morning.
8: Thank you. Bye. Thank you.
2: Take care. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful line? Uh, reminds me of Seamus Heaney and uh, the last text he wrote to his wife uh, Mary was "Noli um, Timere," which was the Latin for "Do not be afraid." Beautiful. So, um, we're calling all heroes. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to hold a coffee morning or dress up, dress down day this October for Mercy Heroes and if you would like to become a Mercy Hero this October learn more and register please or make a one-off donation at the following address www.mercyhospitalfoundation.ie Don't cry because it's over smile because it happened. Good morning to you Gareth O'Callaghan here for PJ for a couple of days this week grim and um, miserable outside but the weather is improving there's a bit of a brightness in that sky there particularly across the city centre here in Cork and out west, but unfortunately, if you head east, yeah, these are the things we don't really want to hear, Um, the east uh, of the county and along the south coast, out as far as Tremore and Dunmore East and Waterford, expecting extremely heavy rain and very heavy flooding, and hopefully it will stay there, not that I'd wanted to be there in the first place, where they're talking about it moving westbound, so uh, I think east Cork could come in for more heavy rain. Now last week we discussed the massive prices some house owners homeowners uh, are charging for the Ryder Cup which comes to the wonderful uh, setting of Adair Manor in Ireland in 2027 and some Cork homeowners were charging 35,000 euro per night according to the Sun newspaper that's right 35 euros 35,000 euro per night and uh, Eamon Ryan, who runs the Gate Lodge uh, at the Dare Manor, is on the line right now. Good morning to you, Eamon. Good
9: morning, Gareth. How are you this morning?
2: Very well, thank you. I'm dry, and that I suppose uh, that speaks volumes. It's um, I don't know what the weather is like there in in a dare, but uh, here in Cork, we've we've had a really hard hard time of it over the last few days. What's the weather there like just before we chat about the ride? Good.
9: Well, the, the, the I, I was listening to you there describing what was going happening, like further over towards Waterford. Well, we're getting all that now.
2: All right, okay. Right I, okay. I'm
9: sitting here in my car now in the village of Adair. It is milling out of the heaven. Wow,
2: yeah, beautiful village. Yeah. Um, now you're you're right outside the manor there. um,
9: I am the closest. I'm the closest self catering cottage to man, and I'm just at the at the the pedestrian entrance gate across the Dunraven.
2: Um, And by the way, before once again, before we talk about the Ryder Cup, has has the uh, the motorway taken away the the huge traffic problems that Adair has been, I suppose, historically (laughs) famous for down through (laughs) generations.
9: It's wheel caliphate it It's that big. <laughs> okay.
2: It. Right, okay. <laughs> well, I tell you, once, once the Ryder Cup comes to town. <laughs> to, so, are preparations underway, first of all? Yeah.
9: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do believe that they're going to be doing purchase orders on the land. I heard there recently within the next couple of weeks or so. And uh, it's, it's it's more or less full steam ahead, I'd say, at this stage. Yeah. What do you mean, purchase orders? They, they, they have to purchase the, the land from the farmers, sure. Mm-hmm. For the. Right. For the um, oh, for the, oh you said, you're talking about the motorway. <laughs> no, no. Oh, no, no, yeah. No, the motorway, yeah. The,
2: the, the motorway is fine. It's, it's, it serves its purpose. But I'm, I'm wondering l- let's talk about, you know, the, the, the inflated prices, massive prices that uh, are being charged for the Ryder Cup. Obviously, people coming to the Ryder Cup from the likes of, well, United States and Canada and the likes of Australia and, and some of the wealthier European countries, they've plenty of money to spend, first of all, haven't they?
9: They've absolutely loads of money to spend, but they're not going to, fa- they're not going to throw on £40,000, £50,000, £60,000 in a house somewhere in County Limerick Pereira, a car It's not going to happen. I mean, they... they, they, they these people coming to these events, they will go through the normal channels that they go through for booking. There are quite a number of companies in the U.S. that will have their packages. There are a couple of companies here in Ireland that will have their packages for the Ryder Cup. You can more or less take it that any hotel at all, within an hour, an hour and a half drive up of a day, will be taken over for the Ryder Cup, and there will be golf packages for the various different people in it.
2: And I presume golfing enthusiasts coming from abroad, they don't want somebody's house where they'd have to do the self-catering job. They want a nice hotel room, don't they?
9: They're going going to go to a hotel room for that. They're not going to rent the house for that purpose. I mean, I've been involved involved with... The Irish Open, the Open. I've done the Ryder Cup already, and I arrange accommodation for the courtesy vehicle drivers because I'm a courtesy vehicle driver at these events. So I, I know for I know for accommodation organisation is all about at these events, and there is nobody thrown out, thrown away, 14000 in 50 thousand for a house. That doesn't happen.
2: Yeah. And what what sort of, is it just golf enthusiasts and golf players who would come to the Ryder Cup, or do you get people just saying, right, we'll take our couple of weeks holidays in Ireland and see if we can go?
9: No, it is going to be a golfer, golfer, golfer to go to the Ryder Cup, and that's it. Mm. Uh, you, 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 may, you may have a guy and he'll to the Ryder Cup and bring his wife with him. She probably might know a lot about golf but she might have any great amount of interest but she's going there. It's a holiday among other things. But by the general rule of thumb, it is golfers and go to the Ryder Cup.
2: Right, okay. And in terms of locally, will there be will there be extra accommodation, do you think, there in, in Limerick and, and in the county?
9: Every every solitary hotel in, 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 in County Limerick would be completely
2: out for this. Yeah.
9: I mean, there they, they are there are three hotels in the thing and you can more less take it. I mean, they are gone already. Yeah.
2: Just move around a little bit there, Eamon. It just the, the line is, is it's yeah. kind of deteriorating. Yeah. It must
9: be the heavy rain. We'll blame the rain see, for everything. see, the problem, the problem with heavier galaxies is it just there's people that put up websites there and they're putting out the word that houses would make thirteen, fourteen, fifty thousand. dollars 50000 That doesn't happen. Go, to, go back to the to the Irish Open in Kilkenny last year. It was the same way. Houses were put up on this website for twenty-five and $30,000 and down as far as 10000 as well. Not one single property rented for that money. Yes. Because as soon as you mention golf, people are of the opinion that this is a millionaire's job and we're going to make big money out of it. Mm. That's only, that's only idle talk, it doesn't, happen. I mean, I mean sent stopped coming to me when I was eight years of age. Now, maybe some people out there are still dreaming of sent that sentence. It's fine. <laughs> 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 that's my view anyway, Gareth, you know, okay. and it's okay. I totally, I mean, as well. Yeah. Okay, sorry
2: about the line, Eamon. It's great to talk to you and we'll we'll come back to you okay. a, little, a little we'll come back to you a little closer to the Ryder Cup anyway and um Do and,
9: that, do that. Okay. And I'll give you a better idea about that. Okay, I got it. a better
2: price, I hope. Okay, sure. thanks. Thanks a lot, okay. Eamon. Um God love him Santa Claus stopped coming to him when he was eight years of age. That's traumatic, and, and I hope Santa Claus made it up to you, I and mean, seriously, obviously you moved house, and you, Santa Claus it's a bit like registering to vote, but right? maybe you just didn't uh, register with the North Pole with the new address. Now um, Eileen Kelly is involved with the Middleton Hub on Facebook and she needs our help this morning. Morning to you Eileen.
10: Good morning, Gareth, how are you?
2: I'm very well, thank you. How are you?
10: Good, good. Things are, are fairly hectic um, in East Cork now, unfortunately the rain was not was not welcome to us here in East Cork,
6: um,
10: but we've had um, absolutely amazing support from businesses and from from people in the community. And um, so, yes, yeah, so we just had um, we are just looking for a bit of a shout out, really. Yeah. For any companies that maybe in the area that would be able to help us with a uh, with drain cleaning, uh, we have a lot of properties that that are in difficulty today. And um, Moore's Bridge there, um, out towards the Mill Road, that has unfortunately given way so there's a lot of houses are being impacted there so we have a, an urgent call out for any drain cleaning companies that might be able to assist us.
2: For, for removing um, the water or for, for cleaning yes, properties? Yes, yeah, okay. for
10: remaining the water or removing the water and cleaning the drains. Yeah. Um, also if there is anybody in the East Cork area that would have availability of a warehouse or a storage space and um, a lot of people are kindly giving us donations of items, furniture items and that. It's just we don't have the storage space. But if we could secure um, a location in the East Cork area, we'd be able to start getting those in then. Um, So I suppose they're they're the the two main things at the moment. And if anybody wants to donate anything, we are taking food, um, preferably non-perishable, convenient food, um, rice, pasta, We've had, again, amazing donations from all the local businesses, um, Tesco, Lidl, Aldi, um, Feed Cork, uh, they're on Lapsky, they've been amazing as well.
6: Mm-hmm.
10: Um, so yeah, th- that's, that's where we are.
2: I, I mean, how are, how are local people coping in terms of, you know, like I, I've, I've seen cookers being thrown out, fridges being thrown out, washing machines Everything. being thrown out. Yeah. How are people cooking? How are people storing food that they need they're to not, keep in the fridge? Yeah,
10: they're not, unfortunately. So, again, we have amazing businesses here in East Cork and even businesses, restaurants and food suppliers that were actually hit themselves in the flood and they are contacting us on a daily basis. I'm not even going to begin to mention any of them because I'm going to forget somebody, and all of them are are equally amazing. So they are literally contacting us on a daily basis, offering food, um, fresh food, um, sandwiches, you know, just stuff that people can can grab and go. So we have volunteer drivers then that are dropping the food to various states where we have volunteers working. So again, if if there's any um, food companies or restaurants that, that would like to contact us, I know we'd have very welcome volunteers, but East Cork is absolutely devastating. Right. Um, Eileen,
2: do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put the call out now. We'll be delighted to give them a mention. We're looking for drain companies, at least one, please, because we need to clear that water out of people's houses and properties. So if you've got the big lorry and you've got the equipment, please get in touch with either Eileen on uh, the Middleton Hub on Facebook or give us a call here at 96FM. And we'll keep it going over the next hour and over the next couple of days, Eileen.
10: That's amazing, Gareth. Thank you so much and thanks a million for, to Red FM for everything that you're, that you're doing. You're absolutely
2: amazing. Thank you very much, Eileen. Thank you. Thank you. And I think she probably meant to say 96 FM but I'm sure the others are doing the best they can too. So uh, give us a call. Uh, go to the Facebook page if you want to do it directly. Alternatively, come on here and give us a shout. Uh, I know that there are a lot of very big drain companies and they've got the lorries and they've got the, the the salvos and the works and they can drain a lot of the water off, take it away and dump it. The Tyrkloon Bridge, Knock Griffin gave way yesterday. Families in the area of the bridge, they're very worried this morning that they will flood, so hopefully they won't.
8: Cool fact a crocodile
0: can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
3: It's that time of the
10: year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves.
2: This is Gareth O'Callaghan for PJ and uh, PJ's back with you next week. He's going to take a few days off, deservedly, because he had a bad accident there last week and uh, damaged his throat very badly, in fact, and he's been in hospital ever since. So we send him on our best wishes this morning. Um, it's a strange experience when you work on the radio and you're in hospital listening to somebody else doing a radio show. So, but he's he's, he's in great hands, great care, the staff of South Infirmary looking after him after a spell and see you, Last week. Now, 083, 396 96 96 is our number. Thousands of people turned up for the unveiling of the Michael Collins statue in the city last Friday. I saw it on my way in through town this morning. And uh, those of you who woke up on Saturday morning to a wonderful photograph uh, on the front page of the uh, Irish Examiner will know that it is an uncanny likeness, I have to say. Trevor Welsh from 96FM's The Score was there. Um, Trevor, statue's very impressive, isn't it?
11: Yeah, good morning, Gareth. Um, it is, and, uh, you know, I was there on the day, and I was there again um, just last night just to get a, a close-up look at it on my own, you know, but the... Um, it is really um uncanny I, I i was looking straight into his face It was like he was reading your mind it's yeah. that good but it's um it's a very very uh, well sculptured uh, statue i have to say and uh, very like my the big cell himself
2: yeah cuz i know that they the statue there uh, sitting in the seat outside the imperial hotel uh and i you know any any time i'm getting off the bus there i see like dozens and dozens of of particularly the the American tourists having their photographs taken sitting beside him. Very clever place to put it, actually. But I think there is something very impressive about uh, about the, the 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 statue there close to the library. I didn't realize that he had a bicycle.
11: Yeah, um, I think that the bicycle, you know, was was a nod to um, you know him famously uh, cycling around Dublin, uh, even with a, with a bounty. On his head, but I think that iconic shot was taken in Wexford uh, a few months before he was shot and killed. It um, was taken in Wexford, yeah. Uh, but I think the Collins, I studied Collins with a lot in school, guard and I think the Collins motto was uh, to keep himself small. And even though he had a bounty's head, he just kept himself small by cycling around Dublin yeah. on a bike. Yeah, you know?
2: and, and I remember in um, the, the Liam Neeson movie, which Jim Sheridan. Uh, produced and directed it was a fantastic movie like as you say with the bounty on his head and the g-men out to try to take him out uh he 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 managed almost a certain sense of anonymity by being on the bicycle didn't he because at, at that stage back in those days everybody was on a bicycle
11: yeah that was the, that was the thing i think and uh you know kevin holland did a great job of it i mean the exact you know um, the exact kind of shot of uh, of him on, in that uh, iconic shot in 1922 in Wexford. I think he captured it so well. Um, Kevin Holland actually spoke about Garrett that, uh, you know, he used to go to the library there as a boy reading books, and uh, some of them in Collins, obviously. And did he know that, you know, 2023 he'd be uh, doing a sculpture, a great bronze sculpture, life-size a statue of Michael Collins, uh, on the very spot where he gave uh, one of his uh, most... Uh, famous public orations i suppose in march of 22 in front of over fifty thousand people at the exact spot and uh it, it really is amazing statue I have
2: to say. yeah and when you look at like it's such a dignified po- poise that the actual statue itself um and even i was having a look at it this morning i like right close up to the face of the statue like the the, the sculpting is so perfect isn't it
11: yeah, yeah, it's 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 uncanny, really. When uh, you know, as I said earlier, when you, you just look into his eyes, it's like he's he's staring at you and, and and reading reading your mind. And that was the thing about Collins. You know, the people I think that uh, were closest to him, even though nobody got that close, apparently to, to Mike Collins, they were saying that that uh, you know he gave everything to himself, and uh, you know um, he was he was he was hard to read. But it was like he's looking into. Into your mind when you if you get up close at all to anyone and, and just look into his eyes you will probably get the picture. But it was it was great to be part of you know that historic along the way moment I suppose to honor the big fella to be yeah. there you know and it was so well, well organized great turnout uh, the the armored car Steven Amon that uh, you know the convoy that Collins was traveling back on that ill fated day was present there as well you know and um, a lot of sporting grace Jimmy Barry Murphy Ronald Garrett Rena Buckley all there it was uh, you know it was well organized.
2: Yeah, yeah. What was it that drew you to to Michael Collins back when you were a a young fellow?
11: I don't know. I think, um, you know, he this presence, I think, he had a great presence, first of all. And uh, I had a history teacher in Deer Park School, Closhtick Nodreish, who kind of grew up in West Cork. And he fed us a lot of information, fascinating stuff about Collins. You know, back in the day, and I love these kind of dry sense of humour. I think some of it came across in the movie, which, you know, when the informer was uh, went to Collins for reassurance to say, look, I think they're closing the net on us. Uh, I think I'm going to be caught. You know, I'm nervous, Michael. And Collins said, I'm nervous too, but keep it a secret, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> things yeah. like that. It's first right, sense humour, parenting. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. Um in in terms of Katie Kiernan and, and the aftermath of the whole thing, nobody seems to know that much about what happened to her.
7: Yeah.
11: Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Obviously, they yeah. were they were very close and they were going to get engaged, and she was writing letters back and forth to each other. And uh, it was a love story, and unfortunately, it came to an abrupt end. But uh, I think Katie Kiernan married uh, after that and had children. One of them was, was Michael, named and Michael. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Do you
2: ever wonder, Trevor, what would Ireland be like if Michael Collins had lived?
11: Yeah, I, I've obviously spoke to a lot of people about that. You, you just wonder where we'd be. He was saying that was the first step, and you know, um, signed a treaty. But that was the first step of setting Ireland free as a whole. And uh, I just wondered. I mean, I often thought about you know if he lived into his eighties, nineties, maybe I'd love to get, love to get to know more about the man, even the fact that there's no audio of him speaking. You know, he gave that famous speech, as he said, in Cork in 1922 in in front of over 50,000 people. There's no audio. Uh, You know, I've been in Collins Barracks talking to Chalky up there, who's very knowledgeable of Michael Collins. Um, uh, You know, there's no real audio. The only audio that might be present would be when he was in maybe... Uh, Downing Street to sign the treaty at that time. There might be a bit of audio there, but it's, I, I'd love to hear him speak, number one, and just hear his voice and what yeah. it sounded like. And he'd get passionate speeches by all accounts. And I'd love to hear him and just wonder what Ireland would be like if he, was, if he did live through later years.
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd love to know how the relationship between himself and Eamon De Valera would pan out, because I'll never forget those words of, of Dev across the floor when he slammed the newspaper down and he said you sold us out Michael um, Yeah It was an extraordinary moment
11: Yeah and uh, you know I suppose the question mark is you know Derbella and Collins's relationship and Collins was sent to sign the treaty even though uh, many would say it should have been Devil Air as the leader of the country. Collins as the leader of the, the, the you know, the, the Irish Army, the general of the Irish Army. Yeah. He had so many balls. I suppose Collins. Uh, I think he was way ahead of his time. Yeah. Um, you know that he could turn to anything. And I'd say the man never slept. Uh, by all accounts, he had a few hours sleep every night. He was, he was thinking, thinking, thinking all the time. Uh, I just you know, um, I think he, he took the rap obviously, Collins, for going going and signing the treaty. But maybe he wasn't a man that should have. Went to sign
2: the treaty, you know. Yeah, there's that. There's a kind of a, a dichotomy there, like where some people are saying the reason Dev sent him was because Dev knew he had an idea of what was coming. That if it had failed, mm. it was on Michael's head. But on the other hand, a lot of a lot of Dev supporters said that if he had set foot in England again because he had escaped from Lincoln jail, that he would have been rearrested. Interesting times. We'll never know, unfortunately.
11: Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. But I remember, you know, reading one part of it when they were in Downey Street that uh, Winston Churchill, um, you know, was staring people down, but they couldn't stare Collins down. Collins just stared back, and, uh, you know, he gave the impression that uh, he was untouchable, I suppose, in the end. Like, even with that comment when he said, you know, hide if you're nervous. He said, don't let anyone know. You know, I'm nervous, too, to keep it a secret kind of thing. I think he, you know, he, he was very strong-willed, very strong-minded, and he did so much in these, what, well, 32 years and on, on the planet you know yeah
2: absolutely fascinating time and, uh, and and you know it's i think it's wonderful for future generations to, to see new books coming out about uh, about michael collins he was a real enigma i suppose that's the word to use but uh, trevor great to talk to you and thanks for joining us this morning
11: yeah there was one thing gareth so yeah? you know i as i was saying earlier um, it was great to be part of uh, you know history there and, and and the statue and there was a lot of positives unfortunately and i know there's a lot more going on in the world and in cork itself here at the moment but uh you know with an occasion like that you know i thought unfortunately the sound system was 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 very poor i'm not sure who the city council uh got on board to do their sound system on the day but it was uh, awfully poor i have to say you know it was just geared for people up the front i think if there was yeah. uh, you know they didn't anticipate to be such a big crowd i'm sure they did but where I was standing, there were a number, numerous people giving out about the sound that they couldn't hear a thing, and, you know, I'd be a big fan of Jimmy Barry Murphy, obviously, Ron Agar, there sporting greats, Reena Buckley. Jimmy gave a speech, and people up the front were kind of laughing and clapping, but down the back there was no one clapping because they couldn't hear what was going on, mm. which is, uh, you know, you would think there would be a sound check done, with an occasion like that, um, you know, um, but an occasion like that, it's just that the sound needed to be better, you know, it was, it was very mm. poor, very light, and muffled at the same time you know you you just think that we want to teach sound checks done, just coming from the the business we're in ourselves in broadcasting, you
2: know. Absolutely. Good point. Thanks, Trevor. Good to talk to you.
11: Thanks, Gary. Thank you. Yeah,
2: uh, I heard that from a couple of people who were there. The sound system was pretty bad, all right. But then I suppose, really, when you consider it was Friday of last week, and we were at that stage over 24 hours into the most horrendous weather we've had in this generation, anyway. uh, Maybe, you know, maybe the people from City Hall obviously were distracted and had other things um, in mind. But it's well worth a little visit if you're passing the parade the Grand Parade there just uh, stop by and uh, it's quieter now and, um, in fact, a couple of people, friends of ours, who uh, were coming home having celebrated a reunion on Saturday night. One of them is standing there at half three in the morning with Michael Collins all to himself. Good morning to you, Gareth O'Callaghan here for PJ, who's back with you next week. And uh, as you w- w- as as you know, if you want to get through, 083, oh, 3, 396, 96, 96. Trying to remember here uh, the last really, really bad hurricane that we had. Now, Storm Babette, uh, which caused all of the damage. And the knock-on effects of flooding over the last few days. I remember; some of you might remember it as well. Hurricane Charlie uh, back on the fifth and sixth of August, nineteen eighty-six. I was living in Dublin at that stage, and uh, a lot of the eastern coastal areas, the likes of Sandy Mount and uh, Poolbeg, and a lot of those areas, literally looking out onto the Irish Sea, were wiped away. The river, uh, the river Dargle. Burst its banks, affecting huge areas of the South City. And uh, like what's after happening in Middleton, many houses were destroyed, absolutely destroyed. And these would have been old houses that hadn't been renovated. And so many people losing their houses completely, having to move out of the area once again, insurance problems, flood insurance, which whatever, whatever, however bad it can be to get money out of the insurance companies these days for flood damage, it was pretty awful back in 1986. But if you can remember some of those times, um, and maybe some of you do remember 2014, 2015, uh, which really hammered Glen, Glenmire. And also Middleton took a hammering those years as well. 083, 396, 96, 96, if you have any memories. Now, Italian native Dario who is living in cork now for many years has contacted the show to discuss the state of traffic around the city and he's on the line morning dario uh,
12: good morning and thank you so much for uh, uh let me let me come to your uh to 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 your um, to the radio Yo, you're, you're very kind <laughs> you're
2: very kind now you love cork but you can't stand the traffic
12: so, uh, yeah, uh, I wrote this email to you as well, because I'm, I'm living in Cork for 23 years now. It will be in two weeks' time, it will be 23 years.
1: Mm-hmm.
12: And um, I have this concern, which I know is more things compared to what happened in those days in Cork and Middletown as well. Uh, but, you know, it's just uh, uh, something, I w- it's just a feedback I want to provide in a nice way anyway. Um so, um, basically, uh, the Blackpool, there is a traffic light. There is actually two traffic lights, and they are located both in less than 50 meters, and, you know, create a long queue, especially, you know, after, during the, when you finish to work around five o'clock, between four and six, and they create really long queue to pop some road or fair, fairfield hay. As well, so uh, the way has been set up. Uh, to be honest, it doesn't make sense, uh, and uh, you know you can see the people, uh, you know the the stress when they're passing those roads during this this timing, even the early in the morning between and uh, nine, between eight and ten, and again in, in the afternoon as well, just after work. So there is so many people going from the hill, try to you know uh, come back home. And but you know sometimes you stay there for thirty five or fourteen minutes because you know there is no synchronization between um, between, between the traffic light um, what I did i after years, yes i I say, let me check with the city council i send uh, I, firstly i was not it was not easy to find uh, the way to communicate, but then I found there is kind of an email address where you can send. Uh, because if you there is an issue with the traffic light you cannot, uh, uh, there is no way to report in a proper way, it's only light or something like this. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so yeah in- a,
2: it's it's the synchronization, or the lack of, isn't that the problem? In other words, as you say, that, that particular um, stretch there, it's, it's only, as you say, 50-100 meters, I think it's at the Dinos in Blackpool, where yes, correct. you come up to the traffic lights and you could have a red light. But then the light 50 meters up the road there is green go. and yes. there's no traffic at the green light. So yes, yeah, there you go. There yeah, you lack go. And of uh, synchronization,
5: yeah. Yes,
12: and uh, you know, sometimes with the truck, there is a truck or uh, bus as well, they're stuck. They, so you need to wait. There's nothing you can do. Um, yeah. And the, fa- the, fun, uh, the funny part is that if sometimes it happened, uh, it happened in the bus as well, the traffic didn't work for some reason. There was no traffic at all. It was really easy, smoothly, you know, as there is the, the car, you know. Uh, they need to look after right and left, but you know there was there was no traffic at all. The
2: funny fact, yeah, I, we found that a few mornings as well. Trying to get to say Kent Station and uh, Albert Street there, just alongside, just as you're coming, you're you're coming up up along Albert Street towards the Keys, and just as you're passing the old sculpture factory there, uh, you 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 kind of hit on that lack of synchronization so Correct, yeah. the lights ahead of you are green but you're stuck and there's guys coming from the right uh, into the yellow box which is illegal but I, I I'm, I'm I'm kind of at a loss as to why they don't just put a guard there at the corner would
12: solve all the problems in the morning but um, simple as that as yeah. it can be a solution as well yeah simple as that have you, so,
2: contact, have you contacted the city council yes, about the synchronization
12: I, I did I did and uh, to be honest uh, as I say I was surprised they just replied for the reply uh, quickly, but then you know they. Uh, my understanding now is they give you, a co- uh, you know, the, the control of the traffic light. That they give you to external company, an okay. external company. So, and at particular request, he, he, they, they they say to me, we will check. They come back and say there's no nothing wrong on the traffic light, and then I I have to send a few follow-up emails as well. Say, look, maybe you can you should ask in this company to check during the busy time. Because if you go at 6 o'clock in the morning or, uh, you know, at uh, 7 o'clock in the night, that's fine. There's nothing wrong because, you know, there is no traffic. But if you go in when, you know, the busy time, yeah. they should check. They again. They came back and say there's nothing wrong with right? the company.
2: Say there's nothing nothing wrong. Yeah. Mm. So I, I mean, you know, like I, I haven't. Like I, I think it, it's as clear as day that uh, you know, particularly that there's little pockets and junctions and things like that where there is no synchronization. Either that, or somebody has switched it off, or it's broken, or it hasn't been adjusted. But just, can I ask you? You sure. ca- you came to learn English, didn't you, for a few <laughs> months many years ago? Yes.
12: Yes. So this. I uh, uh, It was. Uh, no, seven November two thousand. Yeah. My brother was living here, working with a company, and he called me. It's like, oh, you know, you can try here, you know, to come. I was just finished the school and say, look, let me try to learn English. So my initial plan it was three months only, and then uh, because I love Cork now, uh, and then three months became six months, and then one year, and then five years, and then you know, a boot house. I I've been with you know, but uh, yeah. Uh, and what, what do you years. love
2: about Cork,
12: Dario? Um, I, I love the river. For me, I'm, I'm from a bigger city, and uh, it's quite strange to have a river, you know, the bridge and stuff for us. So when I saw, uh, you know, the river, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, uh, I was fell in love with, the Cork, yeah. with the Cork. And, uh, yeah, I started working for in Cork City Centre and then for companies and so on. So long story short, 22 years now.
2: Yeah, steeped in history, that's what Cork is, isn't it? It's <laughs> yeah,
12: steeped it's in history. Yeah.
2: Great to talk to you, Dario, and thanks for bringing up that point this morning. It's, um, have a good day, and it's lovely uh, to again. talk to you. Thank you so
12: much. Thank, Thank you so much you so you so for much. listening.
2: That's Dario Giuliani there, an Italian living in Cork, very much home from now for more than 23 years. A couple of you texting in, and it is true, really. I mean, you know, uh, I know the city council is busy enough uh, with all that's going on, but for some reason, there just doesn't seem to be any change in the lack of synchronisation. And particularly, you know, like for example, I was going for a, a train there on Friday morning to Dublin um and coming up along Albert Street across the keys there so you sweep left and then you're up into the you know where the the private bus companies leave from there's just no synchronization it's just random the light goes red uh for us and then you know people pile out into the yellow box which you're not meant to do and the only thing that will stop that is not synchronization of traffic lights it's having a garda on the beat, as they used to be down through the years. And considering how close Anglesey Street, Garda Station, is to a lot of these little small pockets, all it would take is for somebody just to stroll around the corner for an hour and, you know, point at people and just, you know, put the wind up them. Uh, I guarantee it would stop pretty quickly, that's for sure. And as for, I watched a guy the other day, it was absolutely you'd like, you'd caught my breath. He got so frustrated that he decided to drive up onto the footpath and overtake all of the traffic. And then he actually broke the traffic lights, went through the red because, well, no one was letting him back out, was there? Were they? No. Anyway, um, we'll see if there's anything on that. I doubt there will be, actually. Now, great story went viral over the weekend involving a stranger, an umbrella, a car and grace and grace is on the line hi grace
13: morning gareth how are you
2: i'm fine thank you this is a brilliant story i mean this is i never thought this sort of stuff happened anymore tell tell us about first of all tell us about where you were and what happened to your car
13: so i was actually going to work i work in the city and i actually live in at lylan so for me it's just easier to drive down to the train station and just leave the car there and hop on the train in the morning because I'm only just working behind the train station in a little cafe called Naturally Nourished. Uh-huh. So that morning, my car had gone dead and when your car goes dead and you it, my mom had to come out and jumpstart the car for me. At six o'clock in the morning, all the windows went down and it went crazy. So I thought myself I had put every single window up when apparently I did not. So unbeknownst to me, I got on the train at around seven o'clock that morning, got into work. About nine hours later, when I got the train back, No, the I back window back to, was wide open back window wide open but some stranger had put their umbrella opened it up and put it inside covering my handbag which was in the back seat including my electrics as well i'd be into my cars and cars myself so to have someone just pop in their umbrella and cover my electrics just meant the whole world to me honest to god especially i've only had the car about two months myself and it's it's an older car but it's my child i take care of it like it's Mm. i don't even know what
2: can you can you disclose the make of it because i love cars
13: it's a Volkswagen Jetta, oh, it's a it's a yeah. 2009 Volkswagen Jetta, it's a lovely grey colour as well, so it's my pride and joy, so to have someone just cover over my electrics just meant the whole world to me, because any bit of water into those older cars and it's gone.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, did have you found anything out about The Stranger, have you tracked The Stranger down, or?
13: No one has come forward as of yet, now it's been posted on, I posted it myself on the Little Island notice board, then Corpio took it over and wanted to post it there, and then Glamwire notice board had it up. So it's gathered a lot of traction. I think there's about 400 likes on it now, but still, no stranger has come forward yet to say, "Oh yeah, that was actually me." So, so I'm that, just looking to find them. Yeah,
2: and just to say thank you, obviously. Yeah, and, but you know what? I'm just thinking, the stranger would obviously have given away his or her umbrella, um, in order to kind of protect the the, the back seat of your car and everything that was in there.
13: Exactly, and do you know what, I was thinking about it myself, it wouldn't be something I'd think of to do and go the rest of my own day in the lashing rain, in some of the worst rain we've ever seen, with that's no umbrella. Ex-
2: that's extraordinary, and it was nobody at the railway station, was it?
13: Not, as far as I'm aware, I, I did uh, ask this morning one of the Traor lads, because they're building a bridge down there, and he said he's no idea, so.
2: Right, okay, well, we'll, we'll maybe they're listening. Um, or maybe they're Hopefully. maybe they're you know the good Samaritan they're distributing umbrellas around the city as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> you could do with them today, Grace. Lovely to talk to you. And I'm delighted that the car didn't get damaged and that you know you didn't come back and find everything in the back seat gone. Uh, so that's that's a good news day, isn't it? Lovely story.
13: Absolutely. Thank you so much for okay. having
2: me. I'm going to play umbrella for you. Okay. <laughs>
13: thank you so much uh-huh,
2: uh-huh. so are you the umbrella stranger give us a call we'd love to find out who you are if you don't want to be identified that's fine but let, just let us know that you are real ok the umbrella stranger please give us a call on 0818
9: 96, 96 96 Join the conversation This is the Opinion Line
3: With Hidden Hearing focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years They're all ears Visit hiddenhearing.ie Fox 96
2: FM Homes And businesses across Cork have been devastated by recent flooding. The response from our emergency services has been immense and we've witnessed unbelievable generosity and support across the entire Cork community. We always come out in force to support our own and right now we urge you to check in on those worst affected in your community. There'll be a lot of cleaning, clearing and construction to come so please support your local communities and businesses whenever you can. Thank you, and stay safe. From Cork's 96FM. To Amy,
14: happy birthday to you. Okay, Nathan,
10: you're next. Happy birthday, birthday to you. But birthday you. my
9: birthday's not till next month. Like getting your money's worth. Introducing McDonald's Eurosaver Meal Deals. Get a cheeseburger, medium fries, and drink for just six euro. <whistles> Participating restaurants only from 11 a.m. Not available on delivery. The Credit Union was created to provide the essential funding that's the lifeblood of any thriving community. And to do this not for profit, but for better reasons. For members, for futures, for change. The Credit Union. For you, not profit credit unions in the Republic of Ireland are regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Save money on your energy bills and reduce your carbon footprint with Ashgrove Renewables. Ashgrove Renewables is an SEAI registered one-stop shop. This means we are an approved advisor and home energy upgrade contractor. Upgrades include heat pumps, solar PV panels, insulation, heating upgrades and more. For more on grants and how to make optimal savings, join a free weekly online seminar or call to speak with an advisor. Ashgrove Renewables. See ashgrove.ie.
10: I am a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a little fall. of a little bit of a of a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of of a
2: this is a run. Is it 2 kilometres or 42? Do you think it'll be a personal best? Whether it's your first run
11: or your first marathon, what matters is you are running. Find your pace with Irish Life Dublin Marathon. A better life with Irish Life.
8: Join
9: the conversation! Text for WhatsApp 083 This is The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Fox 96
2: FM. Welcome back. Uh, it's Gareth O'Callaghan here today. And I'll be here today, tomorrow, and Wednesday. And uh, Joe O'Shea will be here with you Thursday, Friday. PJ back, well rested, as uh, I told him. I warned him over the weekend. I said, take a break. You need it. He's had a bad accident last week and he's recovering now in hospital today, but recovering well. Thanks to the staff and CUH and South Infirmary. Now, drugs in the workplace. Recently, we discussed the idea of being mooted to basically bring in random drug testing in the workplace to curb the rise of cocaine use. And it prompted calls from Rayner and Tazzy. And Rayner's on the phone now. Good morning, Rayner. Good morning, Gareth. How are you? Fine. This, this is something... It, it's kind of been building, hasn't it? Because it's becoming more prevalent now. First of all, cocaine is now the most widely used and abused recreational drug, as they're calling it. I don't know how people can afford it because it's highly, highly addictive. Um, and basically people are going to work after snorting it and taking a break to snort more of it. And it's, it's a huge problem, isn't it?
14: That it is. And... Um if you look at people in the workplace who are actually uh, using machinery, that's where the problems would be more pre- prevalent, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, if you're snorting cocaine in the workplace and you're using machinery, which will more than likely lead to accidents and um, huge um Compensation claims by other individuals that might might have been harmed by it, and uh, bringing in uh, random drug testing. Okay, there, there are companies out there who come in and and do swabs and um, yeah, for the presence of uh, particular drugs. Whereas my two dogs would come in, do an open search, which will be. Uh, basically a free run and then there will be a systematic search then when they're put put on a leash then and they will basically, basically search everything from computers, desks, wall sockets, uh, wiring wiring trunk trunking on the, the side of the wall, anywhere where you can possibly look uh, hide it. Yeah. I'm, uh, just, I'm just
2: wondering, uh, Rainer, would there be um, would there be a conflict there with employees' rights in the workplace where in other words, you would actually have to just say randomly to somebody, would you take a drugs test?
14: Can you do that? Well, that's the legislation that would be are in their contract that yeah. um, I think a lot of contracts now will say that there could be random drug testing, random searching, which would um, cover the employer. Against any formal complaints by the by the employee, and like that. note, as I said, I go in with my dog. My dogs they indicate. I step back, and then it's up to HR or managing directors or whoever is accompanying me, um, to uh, make the decision on what happens to the employee, be it a written warning or a dismissal, whatever they have in their their contract. Right. <coughs> Excuse me.
2: And you're you're saying also not not just doing random drug tests, but also bringing in the canines to check out the environment itself.
14: Yeah, whatever whatever the the the, the customer wants or the client wants, if they want a the warehouse search, fine. Uh, we'll send the dogs in or send one of the dogs in. And as I said, like he do a free search first, and then we'll do a systematic search. And obviously, it'll be accompanied by HR and. Um, which is anything indicated back then to HR, then to make their decision on what they do. I would if imagine
2: it's, do... it's a sackable offence, wouldn't it be?
14: Oh yes, definitely. Yeah. Well, that's what that's that's what I would be thinking. You know, um, uh, drugs in the workplace, which can cause serious accidents, is a basic no-no. Yeah,
2: and um, like at one at one point, we we seem to have it, it's it's completely out of control now. By the sounds of it, because at one point these particularly cocaine, cocaine was what they used to call the Friday night drug. That you know you'd get ready to go out on the town and you you you'd snort a couple yeah. of lines of it. But now, yeah, more and more people are using it throughout the day, even at work.
14: Yeah, but I, I think that possibly during lockdown when people were working from home. You know, the, if they were taking it, you know, they they're obvious, obviously their employers didn't know that they were doing it. And they were having their one or two lines for breakfast, one or two lines for dinner, one or two lines for tea, whatever they were taking. Yeah. And then when they came back into the workplace then, obviously with the, the addiction problems that it causes, that they said, well, oh, I mightn't be, might be found out, I might be caught, so I'll take the chance.
2: Yeah. You run RD Canines, RD being... My first
14: initial Rayner and my surname.
2: Oh, sorry. I thought it was random drug testing. Sorry about that. Was <laughs> it... <laughs> well, I I was of that kind of makes sense. Yeah, that's okay. I yeah. won't charge you. Yeah. Uh, RDK9. Was... Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. <laughs> uh, listen, good to talk to you anyway, Rayner. Thanks a lot. Okay, guys. Okay, thanks William. Cheers. Care. Thank thanks you. Bye now. Now, Bye. Um, we've got a lovely heartwarming story just to finish up with this morning. Just before that, I just I, we got an email a short while back from Finbar and I just want to read this to you. Finbar says, Gareth, my car was stolen last Monday night in Larchfield and some things were found down in Mahon in Ravensdale and I was wondering if possibly you could announce it on the show in case somebody spots it. Okay, so it's a 2018 Mazda 6, Dark blue in colour, it's the third time this has happened. The old Mazda 6, still in big demand um, uh, among the the theft community. It's a Limerick Reg, 2018 Mazda 6, dark blue in colour. And this is the third time this has happened. Um, Stolen last Monday night in Larchfield. Some things were found down in Mahon in Ravensdale. Uh, So if you can contact us, that would be great, Okay. Uh, it's a Limerick Reg 0818 uh, 96 96 96 083 396, 96, 96 and uh, we'll check in on that one now uh, tomorrow again. Now a lovely heartwarming story to finish the show. Laser the dog, the guard the dog has hit the headlines quite a bit in Cork as you may know in recent years. And he's back in the papers this week as it's time for him to hang up his harness and to retire. And joining me on the line now is... Um, Laser's partner, Garda Pat-Harrington. Morning to you, Pat.
15: Morning, Garda. How are you?
2: Very well. This is such a wonderful story in the sense that Laser has been responsible for quite a few d- d- drug seizures. Isn't that the case?
15: Well, he's, he's trained to, uh, for everything to do with human scent, but he's been involved where there has been large drug seizures. He's helped uh, find the people who are tending to the crops.
2: Yeah. Can you, Pat? Can you just explain how, say, Laser would operate? Um, it, it's it's a procedure where the dog has to approach the individual who is suspected of carrying drugs, and what happens then?
15: Well, well, Raynor, or sorry, sorry, um, as Raynor was explaining today about his dogs, Laser is uh, what's referred to as a general purpose police dog, so he's trained um, for everything to do with human scent. And then I have my current drug dog then as well, Rex, who's a Labrador, and he's trying to find uh, eight different scents. He's trying to find guns with a cache.
7: Right.
12: Wow.
15: So That's... each handler would have, two, would have two dogs, normally a patrol dog and a specialist dog, such as a drugs dog or an explosives dog.
2: And it, it must be a very intricate training system for a dog to, to be actually able to go in there and, and to spot explosives
15: uh it uh, yeah everything we do is based on a reward system so for the dog it's not really a job it's more looking for their toy right. and then every time they find the different scents that they're trained for they get their toy so the biggest uh, part of this is the assessment process because all these dogs are born with the ability to do the work they uh, it can't just be trained into any dog
2: right and um what what will laser do in retirement now will 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 you you'll be t- well I know that you're you're his guardian aren't you
15: I am, yes. I'm, I've been a handler, so Laser will be officially signed over to me now in the, in the next week. Um, I have to take responsibility for him because he's trained to bite people, so I have to be, um, I, I have to take I have to take responsibility now, but he he's not allowed to do anything unless I tell him. Um, but, so, he's going to just see out his days with me now at home. I, I mean, I, he's 11 and a half now. I have him since he's five months old. Wow.
2: And like, I mean, it's it's a real case of like. Apart from the, the official duties he has to perform with on Garth um he's also a, a, like. Have you been able to treat him like a a, a domestic pet?
15: Uh, he, well, from now on, probably yes. But up to this, no. They're not. are not pets. They're uh, they're a very valuable resource. Right. And um, like all my dogs, none of them have ever been allowed into my house. But they're catered for with with. with um, pretty good kenneling at, at the rear of the house so um, because they're, they're not pets they're, they're working dogs and the, the, there is a bit of a, there would be a, a major distinction as far as I'd be concerned.
2: And do you think the transition now to domestic pet will be difficult for him?
15: Um, it will in one sense because his his mind is still willing to do the work but he's just, his body isn't able and it, the, I suppose the toughest part was the first couple of days I started leaving him at home because for the last uh, 11 years he's he's been used to coming out of his kennel going for his walk and then Getting into my car to go to work, or getting into the car or the vehicle, or whatever he was getting into to go to work. Um, so it will be. Bit, so the first couple of days now has been a bit of a transition. But these dogs are very intelligent, and, and they kind of quickly realise. Oh, I'm not going with Teddy now anymore. So a lot, a lot of the times now, the last couple of mornings, no, when he sees me getting ready to go, he kind of just head back into his kennel. So,
2: <laughs> Dad, you're forgetting me.
15: <laughs> yeah, well, not forgotten about, but geez, it's just, it's just unfortunately yeah. time moves on. time waits for no man. Yeah. so Our dog.
2: And in the same way that a dog, a, a dog, you know, the, the greatest affectionate relationship with domestic pets is between a dog and his guardian. Do you like? Do you will you miss his company now when you're when you're out and about?
15: I will because um, I I had a replacement that I was training, but unfortunately he got injured and he he's now been rehomed to a fabulous family above in above in Mead. Right. Um, so I don't have a patrol dog. So I'll, like even this morning now I'm working and you'll know, be listening to the radio and there be certain calls might come in a missing person or intruders on and you're kind of saying jeez if I had a dog now, I'd be flying I'd be able to go to that but um, and he'd be able to help but unfortunately I just don't have one but I'll be hopefully training up a new one in the new year.
3: Right.
2: Just looking back briefly on some of his standout achievements, um, that huge that huge hall in, in a house in County Clare, wasn't that one of his outstanding moments?
15: Yeah, the, that was the lads um, in Clare got information, and they, they obviously got a search warrant and went and searched this house and discovered a huge cannabis growing factory. But when they got there, they were adamant they heard someone running up the stairs and it was a big old manor with a basement and three floors. It was a huge building, but they were at him, and someone was still in it. But they, despite extensive searches, they couldn't find them. So I was in Cork to get a ring, and I I headed straight up, um, because Claire's in our region down here. So we we went straight up at laser, and deployed laser, and he had a great find that day. He found the girl that was tending to the plants, hiding up in a chimney stack up in the attic, inside right. in a small hole in a small gap in a wall. And even uh, the lads, when when they found her, were scratching their heads, going, "We searched that. How how in God's name did we miss her?" <laughs> yeah. But um, it was the dog found her. and Started barking, then stopping so When she canine, heard the dog barking, then yeah. she 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 crawled out and gave up.
2: The canine instinct.
15: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah the human and, smell.
2: Yeah. And in terms of locating burglars, like how would laser have been able to do that?
15: Again, he's, it's um, it's not a case of here's here's the clothing the burglar wore or whatever. It's just laser trained to find human scent. So if I give him his command, so when he's searching for missing people or a missing child, the command is given in a very soft manner. So he realizes there's no threat. But if I'm searching for a burger and I realise that a burger has run into a certain area or is possibly in hiding in a certain area, number one I'm not sure if they're armed or have they still got the implement on them. More than like if they're breaking into places they'd have things like screwdrivers or iron bars, things like this. Yeah. So I when I'm when I'm deploying the dog, I make sure all the other guards are behind me and lasers out to the front and I shout a warning, giving the person a chance to give themselves up before the dog is released. Right. And then I shout I, I then give the his command in a very aggressive manner. So he realises from the tone of my voice that this is now, he's going to find someone. And if he finds me, it's the opportunity to bite them if they don't give up. Yes. But if they give up and comply with all the requirements, the dog won't touch them. But if they get aggressive towards me or the dog, then he's, he's entitled to bite them then at that
2: stage. Yeah, so the, the, the preferable option would be just to surrender, wouldn't it?
15: Uh, definitely,
2: definitely. Yeah. Um... Pat, I, there's a great story actually this morning about the, the fellow fleeing the cops in, um, I think it's in Australia. The, the cops gave him an opportunity to hand himself in but he decided to jump over a wall into a river and uh, he was eaten by a crocodile. So I suppose there's, there's a, a lesson in that story as well. Pat, am I, am I right in thinking you're based in, 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 in Middleton?
15: No, no, we're based in um, Douglas Garda Station All in Park right. City. Well, then there
2: so, must be another Pat there. Um, well, one of your colleagues, with uh, the same name, must be based uh, either in Cover or in Middleton, I think. I saw, I, saw, I saw his name over the weekend anyway. Pat, great yeah. to talk to you and keep up the good work.
15: Thanks, Gareth. Pleasure talking to you. Take Best care, of luck.
2: Li- Likewise. Thank you. That's it. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Today's show was edited by Emer O'Hay and produced by Fergal Barry. Thanks to Wayne and the Desk. Back tomorrow morning with you at nine.